Hello and welcome to Stupid Sequence, the show where we make rankless things that don't matter because arguing with your friends is fun. I'm your host, Josh. And I'm your second host, Scott. We're at episode 18 this week, and we'll start with a quick summary of what the show is. The goal of each episode is to create a ranked list of something, usually media-related. Scott and I will pick a topic before the show and each come prepared with a list of 10. In the first segment, we'll talk about the first five items from each of our lists in detail, why we feel they fit the list, why they're meaningful to us, or maybe some interesting facts about them. From there, we'll use the second segment to briefly mention the remaining items on our separate list before going head-to-head and arguing over which items belong on the official top 10. This week, our topic is Best Songs Titled With a Name. Ooh. Now to clarify, we are specifically talking about like a person's name, not like a place name. So, like, No Sleep Till Brooklyn does not qualify, because that is talking about a place. Brooklyn can be used as a person's name, but in this case, it is not, so it does not qualify. Well, let me introduce you to a friend of mine whose name is Edmund Fitzgerald. Now, you might be thinking the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald is about a ship, but in fact, it's about this guy ruining his life. That's not true at all. No, it's not. It's about the ship, and it, it wrecked. It's true. It's a good song, though. On Lake Michigan. Hey, another Michigan shout out. But does not qualify. No, doesn't qualify. It's not on my list. We have a list, uh, a couple lists of 10 here. Uh, Normally, we get a uh, third party, an impartial third party, to review our list so we don't see them ahead of time and save the conversation for the show, as it will. Uh, But for our more musically inclined episodes, we share them with each other ahead of time so we can go listen to the songs that we haven't heard because boy, it's real hard to argue about a song you haven't heard before. That's true. Most of your songs so, I had heard. Yeah. Same, same here. There were a in couple that the, I, want, I had to listen to. In the duplicates section here, we have one duplicate in the top five. So uh, that means for our first segment, we're going to be talking about our top sixes. But before we get there, uh, I know we've got uh, some bonus side lists to talk about here. So uh, I figure yeah, I know you've got one and I know I've got one. Um, you're, you're way more excited about this. You go first. Okay. We can, I figure we can maybe do one at this segment and then maybe one like in the last segment. That'd be fun. Um, I can wait. Okay. I got a lot. Uh, I got a lot of names of songs in here. So we're going to cue our bonus um our our bonus side list music here. And I'm going to talk about the uh way overly ambitious bonus side list that I started on and probably spent as much time preparing as I prepared my main top 10 like an idiot. Uh I did a song I, I did a list of songs with a, a song titled with a name for every letter of the alphabet. And it's not that the title of the song starts with the letter. It's that the name has to start with the letter. So I had to get really, really creative here because uh, there's some letters that don't have a lot of names that start with them. Uh, One of my internal rules is it has to be an actual song that I know and enjoy. Um, Hmm. But I also got really lax and had to cheat with my other internal rules I use for my main list, which is uh, my main list I was just doing like actual... uh, like album centric, you know, pop music, rock music style songs and not like soundtrack songs. So there's definitely some soundtrack songs on here to get me through that list. So here we go. I'm just going to run these down. 26 songs. uh, Go. 
Uh, I want you to keep track of which ones you've heard of. Okay. All right, here we go. A is Angel, Won't You Call Me by the Decemberists. B is Barbara Ann by the Beach Boys. C is Kath by Death Cab for Cutie. D is Hey There Delilah by the Plain White Tees. E is For Emma by Boney Vare. F is Faust, Midas, and Myself by Switchfoot. G is Grace Kelly by Mika. H is Buddy Holly by Weezer. I is Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Uh, only realized that that was, was meant to be a name, a person's name, while researching this episode. Uh, J is the excellent Jolene by Dolly Parton. Uh, and now we're starting to get into some of the cheaty range. Uh, K is the song Kaine Salvation from the Near soundtrack by Keiichi Okabe. L is Leslie Ann Levine by the Decemberists. M, The Wind Cries Mary by Jimi Hendrix. N is Napoleon Says by Phoenix. O, another cheater song, Ornstein and Smau uh, from the Dark Souls OST, uh, composed by Motoi Sakuraba. P is Piazza, New York Catcher by Bell and Sebastian. Q is Quick Man from Mega Man 2, Takashi Tataishi. Uh, R is Roxanne by The Police. S is My Sharona by The Knack. T is Trogdor from Homestar Runner by The Brothers Chaps. Uh, U is Uriel from the Dark Dark Siders soundtrack. V is Valerie Plame by the Decemberists. W is William Blake by Daniel Amos. X is Musique pour la Tristesse de Chion by Yoko Shimomura from the Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days soundtrack. Yes, I know that was a word salad. Uh, Y is uh, Yona piano version from the Nier soundtrack by Keiichi Okabe. And finally, we have Zack and Sarah by Ben Folds. Wow, there are a lot of songs on there that I do not know. And a lot of Decemberist songs, I noticed. They sing about people quite a bit. I could have done an an entire side list that was just Decemberist songs. Also, honestly, I could do another entire side list that was just Bell and Sebastian songs also. So of those songs, I knew B, C, D, H, I, J, M, Q, R, S, and T. That was it. About 11 songs. Trogdor was a man. Oh, he was, he was a dragon man. But he was still trapped. All right, now that we've gotten that out of the way, I spent way too much time on that. <laughs> We're going to jump right into the main list, Scott, with your number six. My number six is a song titled What a Catch, Donnie by the band Fall Out Boy. I think this entire uh, episode was just an excuse to make me listen to Fall Out Boy. Did you actually listen to the song? I did. I listened to it all the way through. This is... Because I was not familiar with it. This is a Fall Out Boy song that I think didn't get a ton of radio time. Yeah, I had certainly never heard of it. It's, It's not one of their more popular ones. It's also one of their slower ones. A little bit more somber. Um, Has more piano right and is definitely a reflective song and so i have some details on that first of all it was released in october 15th of 2008 on the album fully adieu the track features numerous musicians performing cameo appearances in the song and i'll i'll get this costello was on this for some reason yeah it's uh why well like because everybody else is like a who's who of like pop punk bands of 2008 right decay um, dance but yeah. elvis costello 
is also on there. I was like, why is Elvis Costello here? So I look forward to you telling me why. Well, there there were some disputes on that one, but okay, let's go into it. So the video uh, depicts lead singer Patrick Stump alone at sea trying to find his way home. Um, and throughout most of the video, he's fishing, reading in his cabin, he's playing the piano, and he's just generally looking kind of lonely. Eventually, he finds a seagull trapped in some ropes on a ship, and he frees and befriends the bird, and so the two of them set sail together, and Patrick is no longer lonely. Now, throughout the video, because this is a reflection and kind of a remembrance of many, many different things, right, Uh, at about, you know, 30 seconds or so, a carousel horse can be seen on deck, which is from their video from America's, America's Sweethearts, another song of theirs. Towards the end of the video, Patrick starts to fish again, but finds strange objects such as deer antlers, which are from Sugar We're Going Down, uh, a black and green striped jacket, which was from Dance Dance, it's the same jacket he wore in that, bass drum, which was one of Andy Hurley's drums, and he comes across a sign featuring the letters FOB, which is from Thanks for the Memories, and then he looks up and spots a white casket from This Ain't a Scene, It's an Arms Race, as well as a sinking ship which is not from a music video. He immediately turns the boat around to rescue the survivors on the lifeboats, which includes Joe Troman, Andy Hurley, Spencer Smith, Brendan Urie, and everyone else uh, that we're, we'll get into here, except for Pete Wentz. So it's, it's pretty much all of the artists that have worked with them over the past few years. So after all the survivors are on the boat celebrating because they were rescued, Patrick looks out at the sinking ship, and in the top right corner, a man assumed to be the captain in a white uniform is seen saluting. This man is supposedly Pete Wentz, and he had a close-up in the original video, but it was edited out. Once all of the survivors are on the boat and getting closer to shore, Patrick sets free his seagull and watches him fly off with his family into the coast. At the end of the song, it also depicts some of their greatest hits. So we have Grand Theft Autumn, Where Is Your Boy Tonight, featured by Gabe Saporta of Cobra Starship in Midtown. We have Sugar We're Going Down, another one of their big songs. I Um, I heard that part. I recognized that and went, that's, wait, that's a different song. Yeah, and and it features Travi McCoy from the Gym Class Class Heroes. And then Dance Dance, as sung by, uh, that's kind of as like Sugar We're Going Down is fading. It's sung by Brendan Urie of Panic at the Disco. And his voice is pretty distinct, so maybe you recognize that one. This Ain't a Scene, it's an arms race, while which is happening while Dance Dance is fading. And that features Doug Newman, the general management for Crush Management, uh, which claims Decay Dance as part of its roster, and Decay Dance being the the collaboration of all these artists, and that's kind of what brings them all together. Thanks for the Memories plays, featuring Alexander De Leon of The Cab, Growing Up, uh, which is featuring William Beckett of The Academias. So from all of that, we have... A monster of a video. And the reason that this one is so important and so different, Pete Wentz said it in a press statement, and and he said, it it is my time to say that we haven't done a video like this before, a video dedicated to someone's death, the death of our best friend and rapper, Dala. And we hope to shoot the video for What a Catch Donnie in the same place he was shot and also bring our friends around for the climax. So it, it it was a tribute video. And for those who were pretty big fans of fallout boy up to this point um y- you might have realized that it felt like a goodbye 
And since this one came out in October of 2008, you're like, wait, is Fall Out Boy splitting up? This is their fourth album. Things are starting to wane a little bit in that kind of music scene. Not entirely, but a little bit. And sure enough, a year later, November of 2009, the band took a break after they released their Greatest Hits album. So this was the last album and the last song on the last album right before they broke up. So this one has particular meaning because it feels like they knew that going into this. When they didn't, that's just kind of a coincidence, but it was the end of an era and they were signaling that. So their next album didn't come out until 2013. As far as the Elvis Costello portion, which it is featured on there, uh, the Elvis Costello portion is featured on there for the, I believe the music video, but the actual album song, it is not on there because there were uh, contractual disagreements and they couldn't come to terms. So I think they, they had the main singer, Patrick Stump, sing it instead. Okay. See, unusual inclusion. It, it is, but at the same time, they've worked with a lot of really big names in their next album because they got back together. Spoilers. Uh, after they broke up in 2009, they got back together and they released another album in 2013 called Save Rock and Roll. And that features Elton John, for example. And, okay. and he's a primary influence on Patrick. And I think you can almost see that a little bit in this music video as well, and the way that he plays the piano and sings, and, and it gets particularly emotional during certain portions of it. But during that next album, it, it goes a step further. So for me personally, this song, this whole album is fantastic. I really, really like this album start to finish. And it's what I call the end of era one fallout boy, this era two stuff, 2013 and later, like some of it's pretty good, but some of it's like, ugh, feels very poppy. Like sure. they're, they're trying to appeal it's a to different, a different crowd. It's a distinctly different sound. It really is. And I, I don't know that I need as much of the anthem stuff sure. in, in my life. Right. If you're playing it at a sporting event, I, maybe you've, you maybe pushed it a little too far for my liking. It's not really why I was attracted to Fall Out Boy as a, a band in the first place. So, anyway, Fall Out Boy is still one of my favorite bands of all time. I think they have just have such incredible lyricism and just some very catchy songs. So, this one is is a just a really well done song, and I'm that's why it's number six on my list. We we've talked before about uh, my dislike of Fall Out Boy specifically. Um, having listened to this, um, I can say differently different than, than most of their st- stuff, um, from like, as you say, era one fallout boy, I will say that, um, as you put it, era two fallout boy is distinctly what I hate the most, but an era one fallout boy, I just generally kind of disliked, not, not really a fan of Patrick Stump's voice. I will say this song relatively inoffensive for me personally. Um, I will note, though, that each time I bring up that I uh, don't like Fall Out Boy, uh, you like to make the mention that, um, as my wife is a fan, uh, that you, oh, is you she? like to mention oh, that. Hmm. Uh, oh, she'd be mad to hear you say that. Um, she listened to this song <laughs> with me, and she said that she didn't like it. <laughs> so oh, wow. She wasn't familiar with it and did not like the song. So I just thought that was funny. That is funny. Maybe I didn't mention it uh, on purpose. No, that was a, that was a coincidence. She, I just she likes Era Two Fallout Boy. That's the thing. Oh, really? That's oh, the specific man. stuff she likes. So we need to have a conversation then, because this is <laughs> this isn't. I feel like you're pulling a fast one on me right now. 
But okay, I've said enough. I really like Fallout Boy. You don't really like Fallout Boy all that much, but you've tolerated it, so I appreciate that. What do you got for your number six? My number six is uh, Layla by Derek and the Dominoes from 1971's Layla and Other Assorted Love Songs. Alert, alert. We have a duplicate. Well, sort of. It's number seven on my list. Right, so pretty similar placement. Six and seven. Hey, this song's really good. He's He's an incredible guitarist. You are specifically citing the Derek and the Dominoes version and not the solo unplugged Eric Clapton version, right? That is correct, yes. Okay. Uh, I believe I know that. that one in a bit here. You did. I just want to clarify for the folks at home. Uh, so if you're not familiar with Derek and the Dominoes, this is a project that Eric Clapton spun up with Dwayne Allman of the Allman Brothers Band um, with folks from the backing band of a separate act called Delaney and Bonnie. Um, this song was written because Eric Clapton had a huge crush on Patty Boyd, who was at the time married to George Harrison. You may know him from the Beatles. Uh, years later and they ended up getting divorced and she married Eric Clapton. Um, but George Harrison and Eric Clapton remained good friends. Uh, George Harrison, not like upset about the divorce in that way. So what a respectable um, guy. Yeah. Uh, this song was originally written as a ballad, but Dwayne Allman actually came up with the signature guitar riff in the song, so they decided, hey, this fits really well. We're going to revamp this whole thing and um, turn this into more of a, as they put it, a rocker. <laughs> and they made a pretty iconic song here. It's basically the only really notable thing that Derek and the Dominoes as a band really put out. Eric Clapton, of course, has legendary guitarist has tons and tons and tons of other really great stuff. Um, Old slow hand. Yeah. He's got a few things, but uh, Derek and the dominoes, maybe not his most successful project, but at least we got Layla out of it because that song extremely good kicks ass later on uh, Clapton would go and rework the song back into a ballad with the acoustic version on the whole MTV unplugged thing. Um, and that song, that version, also extremely well done. I really, really like that version. But this is the original, and this is the one that really sticks out to me as the best version. Just a really, that, that guitar riff is so good. Sure. A lot of people don't realize that it's Derek and the Dominoes. They just think, oh, it's an Eric Clapton song. And large, largely that is true, and I don't think too many people will correct you on it. But if you're being a little bit pretentious, you might say, um, actually, that's Derek and the Dominoes. We it's, like uh, we like being pretentious sometimes. That's part of being a nerd. We've earned that it's right. Part of we're, we're we're factual. We're not pretentious. We're factual. If you want to say pedantic, I'm willing to go with that. Okay, yeah, I'm willing pe- to say that <laughs> pedantic. I I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm a proud embracer embracer of pedantry. Who isn't amongst nerds? But yeah, that's about all I got to say on Layla. It's an excellent song. You should go listen to it if you're not familiar with it. Um, and yeah, I, I love it. What a great opening riff too. It's fantastic. It's really good. Okay. Well, I guess I should tell you about when my number five is then. Let's do it. It's a song that you've never heard and probably never will again. It's Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac. Other duplicate alert. Uh, this is my number one. You know, I had a feeling it might be. This is a beautiful song. It's really good. It's just kind of chilling a little bit. Ha- haunting, you might say. Dark. A little bit dark, yeah. So it, it, was, it fits because it's maybe sort of about a ghost. Or a witch, depending on your interpretation. Sure. Or 
a goddess. All right, so let me get through that then. I've got a couple of details, and I'll let you add some more since it's your number one. I imagine you've got at least a little bit to say. Mm-hmm. February 1976 uh, was released in the U.S. on their self-titled album written by Stevie Nicks. So Stevie Nicks wrote this on a piano with help from her boyfriend, Lindsey Buckingham. At the time, they were recording as Buckingham Nicks, the duo, and about to release the track on their second album, but then they joined Fleetwood Mac instead and recorded it with them. So re- yeah, because worth noting, Fleetwood Mac had been around for like a decade prior to Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks coming on, but it's not until after they come on that, it re- that the band really takes off in popularity. Well, yeah. Because they're amazing. Especially Stevie. Her vocals. Phenomenal. Very good. So Rhiannon is the name of a Welsh goddess. And according to myth, Rhiannon, the goddess of fertility and the moon, shuns a god and marries a mortal man instead. And that god then frames her for murder of her own son. And she is forced to stand at the entrance to a city and tell everyone entering that she killed her child. Kind of intense kind of dark so when nix sang this in concert she did so with a lot of passion as you can imagine i mean it's a very passion-filled song and at times she strained her voice singing it so much so to the point that fleetwood mac had to cancel shows so that she could recover but it was always a crowd favorite what do you got on your side uh so this song is, she based the song on a book she read uh, called Triad by Mary Bartlett Leader from 1970. Um, it's, it's got stuff about um, a character named Branwen who's possessed by Rhiannon, an evil witch. Uh, and what she didn't know is that the characters in the novel were inspired by figures from Welsh, Welsh mythology that are defined in the Mabinogion, which is kind of like a collection of, of Welsh mythology. Um, very interesting stuff in there. Uh, but so the the novel version is really really different from the actual uh, mythological versions here, uh, but it works out really well because the the lyrics of the song fit the mythological version well. They don't actually go against anything that's in the mythology. So inadvertently, she later on discovered like, oh, I actually wrote this really well to fo- to like find the inspiration of the characters from this book I read, which I thought was kind of funny. What a happy coincidence. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, so it, the they think historians think that that version of the character Rhiannon that you were describing from the Mabinogion is actually possibly inspired by even older Celtic goddesses. So this this story goes way way back, like hundreds and thousands of years. So uh, pretty interesting. Uh, I I standouts for the music itself. Uh, I think the drum beat is really interesting here because it's very Tom focused. Um, there's way less cymbal focused than most rock music is. So mm. it's just kind of a, a driving um, Tom beat that is in this song. And I, I really like it. And of course, Stevie Nicks vocals. And then you got like the haunting backing vocals from the band echoing like the Rihanna and Beck. Um, hmm, just had, an incredible song. Yeah. yeah, Not the best Fleetwood Mac song, but the best one that fits this uh, specific list that we're doing. In your opinion. And one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite Fleetwood Mac songs, certainly, but not, not my absolute favorite. Sure. And when I was putting this list together, this was maybe the third, fourth song that I thought of. It was one of the yeah, very early, early songs like, well, yeah, this obviously needs to go on the list. And I knew it was going to be mm-hmm. in my top 10 
in various iterations it was two it was three it got moved up to one at one point it it just it jumped around quite a bit but it's an evolving list but since that was my number five and your number one why don't we move back over to your number five all right my number five is tom sawyer by rush from the album moving pictures in 1981 technically this is another duplicate but it's it's number nine for me, so much farther down the list. Okay. Uh, I will say this is probably my most controversial pick on the list in general because people either really like Getty Lee's voice or they really, really don't. I, uh, like my dad can't do Rush because he just can't stand Getty Lee's voice. Well, but I like it. I think it's good. There's a reason we haven't asked your dad to be back on this podcast again. <laughs> he doesn't listen, it's so he's not going to know. It's racism I said that. against the Canadians. Uh. Notably, Canadians aren't Rush, a race. Canadian. Rush is a Canadian band. Uh, hey, this right. song kicks absolute though. ass. Okay, keep going. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, so if you're not familiar with Rush, they are Canadian prog rock. This song in particular, really great synth sounds, excellent drum part, great melodic guitar solo and bass parts. Uh, apparently, the guitarist Alex Lifeson, uh, his attitude uh, when interviewed about the. Uh, the guitar solo is he's just like, Oh, I totally winged it. <laughs> Which I thought was oh. funny. Um, he's just like, Oh yeah. I just uh, like, Hey, we're just going, I just went for it. And, and uh, just jam really, really good. Just sounded really good. Um, yeah. the song was co-written by the three members of rush, Getty Lee, Alex Lifeson, and Neil Peart, the drummer. Neil Peart. Um, and it's Peart actually. Ooh. That's how you pronounce that. Oh, well, agree uh, to disagree. The and so it was a collaboration between them and the uh, Canadian lyricist Pie Dubois. Um, they based the song on Dubois' poem Lewis the Lawyer. Uh, Neil Peart wrote a good portion of the lyrics with Dubois' recurring vo- verses. Um, you know the song well, it's the where they say, uh, What you say about his company. Uh, that is that is from Dubois there. Interesting lyrics, uh, you know, just a great jam song. Uh, and in closing, shout out to Neil Peart as one of the absolute greatest drummers of all time. Uh, oh, he, yeah. He died pretty recently, so. Additional plug and shout out to my oldest son, who in one of his marching band featured this song in their performances a few years ago, and it was incredible. It's certainly worth the cover. It was a recognizable song as played by a marching band as well. So I, I think that's a very positive thing. Yeah, that can be difficult to achieve sometimes. But this, this song is very obvious, I feel like, yeah, especially pretty if, stand if it out. builds from the beginning. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, that's my number five, Tom Sawyer. Scott, why don't we jump over to your number four? We're going to talk about another Tom, but this time it's not in the title of the song. We are talking about Mary Jane's Last Dance by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. This is one of the other ones on your list that I had not heard before somehow. Which is surprising to me. You do enjoy Tom Petty and yeah. and rock from that era, so it is it is a little bit surprising that you haven't heard this song. This one. Yeah. But what were your thoughts? You listen to it now, so... Yeah, I thought it was all right. Um, not better than my favorite um, Tom Petty song. Uh, but yeah, the 
I, I, we actually, it was the one that I forgot to listen to earlier today when you gave me your list. Um, so we, uh, I actually, I listened to it while we were on the call getting ready to record this. And I made the comment that, uh, the opening sure sounds like, or I guess more like, uh, Danny California sure sounds like the opening of this song. So we're going to get into that then. From the um, Hot Chili Peppers. So this song, it was recorded while Petty was recording his Wildflowers album, and which another beautiful song. This song was first released as part of the Greatest Hits album in 1993, and it rose to number 14 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, becoming Petty's first Billboard Top 20 hit of the 90s. And it also, I always think that's weird when they, when they put out new content on the Best Of albums. Right? It's how can it be a best of? I mean, it was a single prior to that. It had been released, I believe, okay. as a single. And then it was that makes more sense on the though. album. But so it topped the Billboard album rock tracks charts for two weeks. Uh, internationally, the song reached number two in Portugal and number five in Canada. So Petty never really said what this song is about, but there are two common interpretations. It could be about Petty's divorce from his wife, Jane, which happened a year before this was recorded. Another possibility is that it is uh, about marijuana, as, of course, Mary Jane is slang for pot. And the lyrics refer to killing the pain, which, you know, kind of obvious there. But Mike Campbell uh, offered this explanation. He's uh, one of the guitarists. He, uh, He said, my take on it is it can be whatever you want it to be. A lot of people think it's a drug reference, and if that's what you think, it very well could be. But it could also just be a goodbye love song. So in the rest of the interview, Campbell said that the song was originally titled as Indiana Girl, and the first chorus began, Hey, Indiana Girl, go out and find the world. He added that Petty just couldn't get behind singing about Hey, Indiana Girl, so he changed the chorus a week later. And boy, am Who'd I glad he want to sing about did. Indiana? Well, I mean, he still refers to it in the song as, you know, an Indiana Girl on an Indiana Night. So... There's some references in there, but the, the chorus is definitely different and for the better. So in 2006, a U.S. radio station claimed that Red Hot Chili Peppers hit single Danny California had plagiarized Mary Jane's Last Dance. You know, I think you kind of alluded to that. Even calling for Petty to sue the band. Longtime Petty and Chili Peppers producer Rick Rubin produced both songs. Wonder nope, why there's there some go. similarities. So Petty responded by saying that he was not going to sue the Chili Peppers, and he felt that there was really no negative intent behind it, and that a lot of rock and roll songs just kind of sound alike. So the main riff in Petty's song, sure, yeah, I mean, the main riff in his song, however, resembles the main riff in another song, Waiting for the Sun, which, which was released in 1992 by the Jayhawks, and the Jayhawks were the opening act for Petty's tour in 1992, and keyboardist Benmont Tench played on both Waiting for the Sun and Mary Jane's Last Dance. So there's just, there's a lot of crossover there. I No ill will. And Tom's such a chill dude. He has no intentions of suing anyone on this. He's not one of those diva front men. He's just like, sure. whatever, man, I'm going to do it. Like, uh, Petty made some very strange music videos in his time, and this was no exception. Tom played a mortician who takes home a corpse played by Kim Basinger, which originally was supposed to be Sharon Stone, but Sharon Stone never responded. So they got Kim to do it. So when he gets her home, he puts her in a wedding dress and dances with her. And then he puts her in a pickup truck and throws her into the ocean. And then she opens her eyes as she sinks. 
It also won, weird. Right? It won Best Male Video at the MTV Video Music Awards. I didn't know videos could be gendered. Uh, apparently it can. The clip was directed by Kira McFarlane, who later did Sheryl Crow's If It Makes You Happy. If Petty seems strangely comfortable in the role of the mortician, it might be because, fun fact, he used to be a gravedigger. Sure. I so, believe yeah. that. Yeah. Tom Petty. Tom Petty's weird dude. Weird dude. Rest in peace. Yeah. Just about six years ago, I think, uh, we, we determined. Yeah, I did not realize he had died. Which is another shocking thing to me. How did you not realize that Tom Petty died? I feel like we had a conversation about this at some point. Well, I'm going to find that conversation and send it to you. I was going to mention that um, uh, also a shout out to uh, Christine McVie, who uh, died uh, very recently, uh, back in November, from Fleetwood Mac. Uh, So, yeah, as well. Good call. I, I wasn't thinking about that. Okay, well, that, yeah, that's my number four. Beautiful song, Mary Jane's Last Dance, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I really like Tom Petty just in general. I, whenever I'm about to go on like a fishing trip, I listen to a lot of Tom Petty in the mix, and it just puts me in the, the right mind space to, to start chilling out and relaxing for some reason. It's Tom just, Petty's uh, kind of just, a go-to. Just running down a dream, you know? Yeah. Exactly. What's your number four? All right, my number four is a band that we met, talked about a little bit earlier uh, on my special bonus side list. Uh, this is O Valencia from the Decemberists from the 2006 album The Crane Wife. It would not surprise you to know that this is not on my list. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how familiar with the Decemberists catalog you are. I've heard of them. Uh, that might be where that is. They're one of my favorite bands. The song tells a very Romeo and Juliet or West Side Story type of tale. Uh, you know, star-crossed lovers belonging to rival gangs. Uh, he's in a line in there. He says, I'm your brother's sworn enemy. Uh, even though the verses of the song tell the story as it plays out, the chorus alludes to where the story is going. But, oh, Valencia, with your blood still warm on the ground. You know from the jump where this song's going, right? Uh, the lovers are betrayed by... Uh, the titular Valencia's sister, her brother call, and then Valencia's brother calls out the singer and attempts to shoot him. Valencia runs to him and is hit by the bullet instead. Uh, the song ends with the modified chorus, Valencia, with your blood getting cold on the ground, Valencia, and I swear to the stars, I'll burn this whole city down. So, you know, kind of a tragedy. I didn't mind the song, a though. familiar one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun, <laughs> you know, a song about a tragedy. I think it's, it's a, it's a, Maybe more fun than you would think a song like that would be, but, uh, well, you know, not to spoil anything, but a good portion of the songs on my list have to do with death. Sure. But anyway, it, in general on this song though, I I will say the guitar was really nice. Uh, and I felt like his voice lended well to the message. So it was, it was a good mix, definitely appropriately themed music for, uh, for this list so i i enjoyed it i i don't know that i'll be listening to it frequently but if it came on i probably wouldn't change it yeah colin Melloy is uh another one of those real distinctive voice uh people i know folks who cannot listen to this band because they can't stand his voice i like it quite a bit though uh, so it works for me yeah i like uh this is actually the first december song i was ever introduced to hmm. uh 
and then sought out the rest of the album, Crane Wife, which is a truly excellent album, one of their best. And then I went, well, I should go listen to more of their stuff. And then turns out just about all their albums are good. So uh, Rapidly became one of my favorite bands. Yeah, It's one of my favorite things. You hear a song and you're like, what is this band? And you listen to a few more and you're like, why haven't I been listening to this band? This is awesome. Yeah. I love when. Yeah. That uh, interestingly enough, for me, um, the only album that I from theirs that I don't care for uh, came out after I discovered the band, uh, and they t- uh, their album uh, "The King Is Dead." I want to say it was like 2012 or something like that, 2013. Um, they. Uh, they did an album where they said, hey, what if we just tried to sound like R.E.M. for an album? And they did pretty good at that. But also, I don't like R.E.M. very much. So that didn't that didn't really work for me. So your discovery um, of this band ruined the band, is what you're saying? No, that was two albums after I, f- I found them. Oh, okay. We won't, we so, won't give you all the, the Their next one is, is very, very is an incredible album. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. Uh, last thing I have to say about O Valencia is it is notable for their original music. They did two music videos for this. Their original one, the band filmed themselves on a green screen and allowed fans to create their own videos from it. Hmm. Uh, I think they like awarded a winner for that and everything. So later on, they recorded like a more traditional music video, but, um, which is the one that I watched. Yeah. Yeah. The first one is more of like a, uh, just like, Hey, let the fans go nuts with this. So yeah, kind of fun. The second one was fairly entertaining definitely had that romeo and juliet vibe and there was a couple of little twists about the various players in in the roles that are relevant to the story and i thought it was kind of yeah funny. they're kind of telling a they're kind of telling a different version of the story right in the music video where in the music video actually valencia is referring to a hotel mm. instead of a person mm. That puts this at a gray area. You just disadvantaged yourself. It's a different. It's a different version of it. Mm, okay, but anyway, that's fine. But anyway, I've what's ne- your name? I've, ne- I've never met anyone named Valencia. I also have not. Not a common American name. But O, isn't there an owl named O on Daniel Tiger's neighborhood? Oh yeah, never watched it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, perfect. I do not have children under the age of five, so I have not watched that. It's on PBS. It's kind of a banger. All right. Well, anyway. I mean, I mean, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Now, that was a show. So Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood is based around. All right. I, I'm familiar. That's why I bring it up. Okay. Daniel, Stri- Daniel Striped Tiger, the best puppet from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, for sure. Well, now he's got his own show. Top 10 Mr. Rogers characters. Mm, I was a fan of The Postman. Anyway. Sure. My number three is a song that you've definitely heard. And I believe that emo kids everywhere will shout yep. hooray for this song. For sure. The song is Helena by My Chemical Romance. Man, I love this song. So it was released Old Gerard Way. March of 2005 on the album Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. Now... For this song, right, kind of an emo anthem, largely described as the one song that truly defines My Chemical Romance in their own words. And they've said that this is one of the most important songs we've ever written and is one that really just defines us. And so they played it last at a lot of their concerts. 
So Way, Gerard Way, the lead singer, stated in an interview with Channel 5 that the main influence behind Helena was from the song Aces High by Iron Maiden and tracks by The Ventures. This song is also by, or also My Chemical Romance's sixth overall single. So, um, NME declared that the song was one of the 20 greatest goth tracks and that it was a pivotal moment in cross-fertilizing goth with emo. And that MCR spawned a hybrid that ensured that black clothes and eyeliner became, once again, Teenage Rebellion's default setting. I, uh, I believe it was that music video in particular that spawned a lot of kids to really start wearing that black eyeliner again. Yeah, this is like easily their most popular song prior to Black Parade, right? Hmm. I'm Not Okay was pretty darn popular. Yeah. I, it's hard to know for sure. They've got a lot of really good songs in there. And that album's also quite good. Uh, it, Variety uh, ranked it as one of the best emo songs of all time in 2022. So no surprises there either. So the music video, <clears throat> if you haven't seen this, it I'm, was what's that? I have not. Oh, you've okay. You heard the song. You've not seen the music video. Well, right. it's it's a funeral. The music video was shot on location in the Emmanuel Pres- Presbyterian Church on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles. The video has a very simple plot with Gerard Way as a very emotional mourner at a funeral where the band is performing. There are also mourners who dance and mourn the death of Helena. Near the end, the, the dead body of Helena, played by actress and dancer Tracy Phillips, who is the daughter of NFL coach Wade Phillips, rises and dances down the nave, representing crossing over into the afterlife. After, the, after she falls back into the casket, the pallbearers, also played by My Chemical Romance and a fan named Cameron, carry the casket to the hearse in the pouring rain, surrounded by... Uh, a group of dancing men and women with umbrellas. Kind of, uh, kind of weird. Very slow macabre. moving. Yeah, very macabre. Bit, bit just dark in general. But it fits really well with the, the message of the song and the delivery overall. Uh, the the video itself was nominated for five Moon Men at the 2005 MTV Music Video Awards. I don't know what that means. Well. That's fine. It was nominated for Best Rock Video, Best Choreography, Best New Artist, and the MTV2 and Viewers' Choice Awards, both of which are chosen by viewers. And they lost to bands such as Green Day, Fall Out Boy, and The Killers. Though the band did not win any awards, they did do a surprise performance of the song towards the end of the show. So, the song itself is partially about the death of lead singer Gerard Way's grandmother, and she... She's the one that taught Gerard how to draw, paint, sing, and she gave him his first car, which is the white van that appears in the original song, I'm Not Okay, music video. So the song is dedicated to her, as is the CD, and she is mainly who the part at the beginning where he says, can you hear me? Are you near me? Is who that's referencing. So, yeah. Pretty great song. I got to talk a little bit about my relationship with MCR. Um, so I really like Black Parade. I think that album is very good. And the stuff before Black Parade, I do not like at all. Just doesn't click for me. 
It's because you never went through an emo phase. Your life was too pos- That's true. positive, I, I too happy. Not. You never I was went not through an emo kid. You were, and not you were an very emo. much the emo kid. Well, I was a wannabe emo kid. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's put that real. You you got you you did you embraced portions of the lifestyle. Let's say. Oh, I certainly did. And you you were like more on the like the pop punk side of that divide. Yeah, I could see that. I never crossed over into the jet black hair eyeliner. No, no. You had the hairstyle. You had the lip piercing. You know. Well, I had a fake lip piercing. <laughs> sure. I again. That, that, yeah, that's that's again. emblematic. That's yes. that's emblematic of of where how far into the lifestyle you were going. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. you know, I I had a chance to pull the trigger to get snake bite lip piercings on spring break in 2008 7 2007 and i i didn't do it and you chose correctly i i mean i probably would have removed them by now but yeah something i never did i don't know that i regret it but it, this it was is, definitely this is a, the deci- phase. a decision that haunted me for a couple of weeks this is the phase when i met you oh yeah that's true you're probably like who's this guy why do we talk to him <laughs> yeah yeah, I was definitely one of the few in our our core friend group that really kind of fell down that path. I, fell yeah, is maybe sure. a good word, but I I can't deny my emo roots at this point. There's a a lot of really good emo music that I still listen to to this day, and as a result, it influenced heavily into the next generation of music that I started listening to after that, which was. A lot of screamo, post-hardcore, and and really getting into heavy metal from there. So, yeah, I, I guess I'll credit them for that, and I will shamelessly play them and sing them aloud in the car for no one to listen but myself. Hey, Black Parade's a really good album. It is. This one's not on that. It's on Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, which is That's true. That's also true. a very good album. And this song is, like I said, emblematic of MCR and iconic of an era that i still think about sometimes not because i miss it but because it was a simpler time and emo music was super popular and there was more coming out and going to shows was awesome but anyway what do you got for your number three uh my number three is a um from a band that is at a similar time period this is 2005 Let's say it's a band that is encroaching on the emo space from the complete opposite direction, about as opposite as it could be. This is uh, what Sarah said from Death Cab for Cuties 2005 album Plans. If they are not emo, they are definitely emo adjacent. For sure. Um, This is, and I think Plans is probably the closest they get to that. They're still, they're way more like coming from that alternative space Mm -hmm. than than more of that like goth space that like death cat for cutie is not goth very clear no no um so they're they're like coming at the emo space just from the opposite end of of that spectrum right mm-hmm. um i will follow uh, you into the dark though still right like the the content and the messaging was there it's just their delivery of the lyrics was not quite to the emo sure. extent Right, and so plans is that that's this is the I will follow you into the dark album. Mm-hmm. It's their fifth album. Notably, similarly with MCR, um, you know the, the Black Parade is where I find you know the pre Black Parade stuff for MCR. I don't really enjoy. 
I have a similar divide with Death Cab for Cutie, another one of my f- favorite bands of all time. Um, their first couple albums, I just don't think are any good at all. <laughs> um, photo albums, their third album, and that's starting to kind of morph into the sound that, that I enjoy. And then Transatlanticism is where it really hits, and then Plans is continuing that. But talking about uh, yeah. what Sarah said itself, um, the song is about the, ex- you know, if we want to continue on emo stuff, the song is about ex- the experience of watching someone die sung from the perspective of the person who is dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really excellent piano melody that I really enjoy. Uh, ben Gifford, who is the, you know, vocalist for the band, another real distinctive voice. He's singing about like uh, the lyrics kind of focus on like what that uncomfortable experience of being in a hospital room where someone is, you know, deathly ill. Um, and you know, I've been in that situation. I, for other people who, um, other people who may not have been, you know, this song may not hit the same way for them, but you, uh, uh, I, I just think they really capture that. I think some of the standout lines from the song, um, the, the first verse where he says, and I rationed my breaths as I said. I just really like the language that they use there and everything, um, just through the whole song. Uh, and then later in the song, he says, um, you know, as the person dying, Love is watching someone die. So who's going to watch you die? Mm. As in, you know, he's dying. He's leaving his, um, his, you know, loved one behind. And then who's going to be there to watch her die if he's gone? You know, it's a bummer. It's a bummer song, but it's really good. I really like it. A lot of their um, songs are like that, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. They're just uh, lo- super dark. Especially, especially this era of Death Cab. Um, you know, kind of like the transatlanticism plans era of Death Cab, which is what I was going to mention. Transatlanticism was when I really Transat- first started getting into Death Cab. So yeah, that album, that album's easily their best album in my mind. I really like Plans, Narrow Stairs. The one after that, I think, is really good too. But um, this era of Death Cab especially is a lot of death and a lot of breakups. <laughs> it's mm. what most of their stuff's about, and uh, a lot of know, death, I, not much cutie. True. But yeah, I I love this song. Um, apparently, this song really almost didn't make it onto the album as it didn't get completed until the album was nearly recorded, apparently. But they got it on, and I think the album is much better for it as it's definitely one of my favorites from the album and from one from their catalog. Yeah, it's a good inclusion. But yeah, that's a good song. That's my number three, what Sarah said. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why don't we move on to your number two? Sure, we're kind of flying through it today. Let's uh, let's yeah, keep that cooking. momentum. Yeah, number two for me is another song that I thought of relatively early in this process, and that was Clint Eastwood by the Gorillas, released in it's a good song March of two thousand one. Good, I'm glad you think so. In their self-titled debut album, and it was their first single. So this was sunshine in a bag. Largely the first song by the gorillas that most people have ever heard sure so the song is named after shocking the actor of the same name due to its similarity to the theme music of the good the bad and the ugly of course as a movie spaghetti western from like 1966 so the verses are wrapped by 
Del, the funky homo sapien, mm -hmm. portrayed as a blue phantom in the video, while the chorus is sung by Damon Albarn, who is 2D in the video. Now, Clint Eastwood peaked at number four on the UK singles chart and number 57 on the US Billboard Hot 100. It also reached number one in Italy. For some reason, it very re much resonated with them. And number two in Germany and top 10 in seven other countries. So the, the single has sold 1.2 million copies in the UK and has been certified double platinum by the British phonographic industry. The Rolling Stones ranked it as number, number 38 on its 100 best songs of the 2000s. In October 2011, NME placed it at number 141 on its list of 150 best tracks of the past 15 years. And the magazine also ranked it at number 347 on their list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. In 2021, Double J ranked it as the 14th best debut single of all time. So they just received a lot of notoriety. I think the key takeaway here is this song's from 2001, and it's still making some of these lists as it's a unique, notable intro song into this band that you've never heard of that isn't even a real band or largely wasn't at the time. They're kind of a, they're a virtual band, which leads me into they have a Guinness Book of World Records record for. 7 million global sales of the Gorillaz album, which gave them that entry, and it was for the world's most successful virtual band. <laughs> so this garnered the band three MTV Video Music Award nominations, which, in preparation for that, because they didn't want to go on stage because they're a virtual band, and they were largely just these characters that are portrayed in kind of a comic-y dark lines and over-exaggerated features. Um, and anyway, the, so they garnered those three nominations and the gorillas, they created an animated acceptance speech to continue the theme of the cartoon band members. But unfortunately they spent tens of thousands of dollars on a speech that they never used because they lost in all three categories. Oh, Sad. Yeah. So this song, it, every time it comes on, I will not skip this song. I I just I really enjoy this song, and I've always sense. said that if I was gun to my head, forced to do a karaoke song, which I I can't sing. I'm I'm not tone deaf. I just can't get in tune. As maybe I I have terrible tune. I don't know. I can't sing in tune, but I can recognize tones. The problem is, I can't sing. But this song, because of the way it's structured, I feel like I could do this song a little bit of justice and not sound like a complete idiot. So this would be my go-to karaoke song in most cases. But that hasn't happened yet, so I'm, I'm still reserving that for a, a chance. Maybe someday. Sunday or someday? <laughs> Some someday. I was gonna Some... say Sunday. I'm busy. I can't do a Sunday. <laughs> not going to not going to a karaoke bar. I have a weird relationship with this song. The version I was exposed to is not the regular version of this song. Uh, I was exposed to a version that is on, a bonus track on that original album. It is the Clint Eastwood Ed Case refix. Hmm. 
and it is oh is that the remix of the yeah yeah and so it's it's a much uh higher tempo mm-hmm. yeah so higher tempo it's got some other verses on it and stuff from a different rapper so i was exposed to this first and i didn't hear the original one until years later so i heard the original one and i was like why is this so slow <laughs> uh, because that that remix one is much much faster so this uh, that uh permanently impacted my uh perception of this song because i know it through this more upbeat faster you know faster tempo version and that then the other that original version i still acknowledge still very good it's just not what my brain recognizes as like the default for the song sure it's funny how that works and uh, yeah. i think for me personally the era of napster and limewire oh, yeah. is oh yeah so much to blame for that because you download a song thinking oh yeah this is the song that i'm looking for that somebody mentioned to me and you listen to it over and over and over and then you realize later like why what this isn't the song oh you mean yours doesn't have war sounds in the background of it like i thought that no that those are additional sounds that were inserted by someone else that's really bizarre Okay. Every single listing on those services for the Evanescence song, Bring Me to Life, <sighs> credits it as Evanescence and Linkin Park. Yeah, right. Which is wildly incorrect. Linkin Park had nothing to do with that, uh, with that song. That's funny. The rap portions of that song are performed by the lead singer from the band 12 Stones. Yeah. Uh, That's funny. Yeah. It, There's a, another band that I particularly enjoy, and one of their songs, for whatever reason, on this album, they inserted that, uh, what do they call it? Like the gray sound, the gray noise, where it's like it, it, it's what you get on a an old tube TV when you go to a black and white oh, sure. channel, sure. and there's the nothing fuzz. there. The fuzz, yeah, that noise. Somebody took a pivotal portion of this song where it was like a climax, and it's like every day is, a, and then it cuts to that noise for like ten seconds. You're like, what the, f- why, why did you ruin this song? <laughs> And so for years, I used to instinctually know when that was coming and turn the volume down just a little bit because it was so much louder than the actual sure. song. And it, if I was wearing headphones, it was awful, just awful. Uh, the last thing I want to note here, though, about Clint Eastwood in particular, the song, not the person, although this is related. In 2001, Hewlett and Albarn indicated that they had not received any feedback from Clint Eastwood himself over the song. Now, they they expressed a desire to send the actor some of the band's merchandise as a mark of respect and said, I'm sure Clint Eastwood would like the song. He's an intelligent man. My my gut says... No, probably. Almost certainly Clint Eastwood would not like this song. No, if I'm... If I'm thinking, yeah, my instincts on Clint Eastwood for this, he's probably like, yeah, of course they named a song after me. But that that, that might it, like, that might just be that might just be his inclusion in a million conservative Facebook memes. Um, yeah, it's hard to really know where coloring my perception of the man. But who knows? It's hard to know where where the memes end and the person begins. You know, sure. But anyway, great song. I am happy. I'm feeling glad. I got sunshine in a bag. And now we're going to go to your number two. My number two, which is the last one we're going to be talking about from the top part of my list here, because my number one was Rhiannon, is a song I dearly love. It is Johnny Cash's A Boy Named Sue 
from the album Live at San Quentin in 1969. It was a good song. It was a really good song. I, I love this song. Definitely one of my favorite Johnny Cash songs, uh, which I like quite a few of his songs in this, but this one, very good. Uh, definitely different from everything else on my list, just in terms of construction and sound. Um, the song itself was written by poet and children's book author Shel Silverstein. You may know him from poetry collections like Where the Sidewalk Ends or from his stories like The Giving Tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote tons of other stuff. The song itself was inspired by Silverstein's friend Gene Shepard, who also had a feminine name. Uh, you may know Gene Shepard as the guy who wrote A Christmas Story. A classic, classic movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this mm-hmm. song itself uh is more spoken rather than sung uh telling the story of a man who was named sue by his father before being abandoned uh, by his father um he lives a life of ridicule over having a woman's name and he fights anyone who makes fun of him eventually he manages to find his father and says my name is sue how do you do now you're gonna die (laughs) uh they fight and he beats his dad and his dad says before you kill me you should thank me because having that name made you tough um, and, and, and yep. made you who you are today. Said I, um, I knew then, I wasn't going to be around, so I had to give you a tough name. Yep. Uh, so that, uh, that connects with Sue and they reconcile. And then the song ends with him saying, uh, well, if I ever have a son, I think I'm going to name him Bill or George, any damn thing but Sue. Yeah, right. <laughs> It's a nice little turn at the end. He's got a good, uh, yeah. good comedic yeah. delivery there. Yeah. Uh, the iconic version of this is from that live at San Quentin album, uh, which is performed at the San Quentin prison. Right. That's something they just don't do anymore. Do they even allow artists to perform in front of prisoners at this point? I do not know. Uh, you certainly don't hear about it. Uh, and, and, and Johnny Cash certainly took a lot of flack for it at the time. This was not a popular decision that he made. Sure. Um, but that album went on to be a huge seller. And, um, you know, because he, he came from, like, gospel music, right? And so uh, his Christian audience may be less of a fan of this. Um, but, yeah, uh, so an interesting detail I learned while reading this. Um, this was, that recording is the his first ever public performance of that song. And that performance was not even planned. He like some weeks earlier had, uh, had gotten his hands on the song, uh, and like just decided like, yeah, let's do this. Let's just play this song in the middle of this. You can hear in the, um, in the live recording that the audience is way into it. And the song itself went on to be Johnny Cash's best charting hit ever. That's how can they not be into it? It's such a simple story. And yep. people can just listen to it and go, yeah, I get it. Like, that's, I, the story makes sense. It flows at the time, at least. These days, you never know. Anybody can be anybody. Yeah, I, uh, I love the song. I think it is, you know, like I said, one of my favorite Johnny Cash songs. Just a really fun, you know, fun humor-based song that uh, I, th- I think is a good time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Notably, I, I did have it at my top ten at one point. It, it did not make the final cut. It is in my, my honorable mentions, though. We'll have to get to that in the next segment, which is after your number one, the last song we're talking about here. So my number one, and, and I think I told you about this as I was constructing this list, when I did my first pass at it, I almost created a list of 
songs that I thought should be included, but almost in a way of like, well, this is what other people would expect you to include in a list like this, not what I personally believed the list would be. And so after giving it some careful thought and deciding, you know what, I'm going to be way more authentic about this and just be honest about which songs I love and which ones I, I think are notable for me. And that's where I ended up including this song as number one. Uh, and so that song is The Ballad of Mona Lisa by Panic at the Disco. Now, notably, this is not one of the first Panic at the Disco songs. It was released in February 2011 on their Vices and Virtues album. And have both say run. Yeah, that's almost like a era two Panic at the Disco. Right? Well, hold on, because not quite... I'm calling okay. this the end of era one, and I say that because well, I'll I'll get into it a little bit here because there's there's some nuance to this. Um, yeah, I'm not super familiar with the band's history. Sure. So I absolutely adore this song. This song is easily one of my favorite Panic at the Disco songs of all time. Every time it comes on, I sing it out loud as as much as possible. I turn it up. I I'll even play it on repeat a couple times. I just, I love this song. Probably my one of my personal favorite top 10 songs of all time, regardless of wow. this okay. list. Just, it's such a good song. So The Ballad of Mona Lisa was, of course, written by the lead singer of Panic, which is Brendan Urie. And it was one of the first tracks that was composed for the band's third album because it, it wasn't really written at that time. It was written prior to that. So, uh, yeah, it was it was written before they even began recording their second album, which is known as Pretty Odd. And it proved to be an inspiration for the production of Vices and Virtues, which ended up being the third album. So a few of the ideas, like the Ballad of Mona Lisa specifically, was from an idea that Brendan had uh, like four years prior before they even started touring on Pretty Odd. And it was just sitting in his laptop collecting, well, figurative dust, I guess, on his hard drive. And uh, it wasn't really doing much, just kind of sitting there. And he said, that ended up being a really good intro to the whole process. I showed the band a couple of times, but it just fell to the wayside. We never did anything with it. Other ideas beat it out or for whatever reason. Uh, And so he wrote the song dealing with his own personal convictions and struggles. On the, the surface, it can seem like it's just the story of a drama between a guy and a girl. But it's really about, and this is quoting Yuri, Brendan Yuri here. Um, it's, it's really about what I've been going through, an inner struggle within myself and fighting the dualities of my personality, the side that Fs up everything and destroys everything, and the other side that tries to pick up the slack. Uh, it's all growing pains. So the song was inspired by his move to Las Vegas, Nevada, where he lived, he's lived his entire life, uh, to Santa Monica, Uh, with his drummer, Spencer Smith. So Brendan notes that the move was a huge part of growing up. Yeah, he said it it was a new start with Spencer Smith, and I started writing, so it was going to end up sounding different sonically. The music has been described as a combination of, and I I love these these descriptions here, buzzsaw riffs, punchy percussion, and literate multi-layered lyrics. So to give you a little bit more background here, this being their third album, the first one being A Fever You Can't Sweat Out, 
a fever you can't sweat out is one of the biggest ones. This is one of the iconic, like this is emo panic of the disco, right? It's got I write sins, sure. not tragedies on it. It's got, um, the only difference between suicide and martyrdom is press coverage. It's got, yeah, your, your it, full sentence song yeah, titles, yeah. All, all of them, right? Lying is the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off. And it, yeah, some, and another honorable mention that we're going to get to. I constantly thank God for Esteban. Um, so this song, because it was written prior to the second album, Pretty Odd, it has a slight feel to the first album, but then Pretty Odd came out, and that was kind of a completely different sounding album compared to the first one. And the band, in general, Brendan and, and his close friend, the drummer, Spencer Smith, they decided they didn't like the direction of the band. And so they they decided to part ways with a few of them and continue being Panic at the Disco without them, since Brendan's voice is largely what is Panic at the Disco. Um, and so they, sure. quote-unquote, kicked them out of the band and did Vices and Virtues in kind of a revamping of the old ways, right? So this was way more similar to the first album, and he felt like it was more true to what the band should sound like. And you can definitely hear it in this song. And even in the music video, it's uh, it's directed by the same guy who directed I Write Sins, Not Tragedies. And so there's a lot of similarities in the way that it's shot. Even in some of the location and items used, there's steampunk-themed video. And it's very similar, like I said. And it's from the, the similar church setting various camera shots that are very similar. Uh, there's a top hat that's used in the clip of the dusty pews in, in this new one. And it's the same one that they had used in years prior for I write sins, not tragedies. So definitely some similarities there. The, the band for this album vices and virtues created a short video that includes several of the songs from this album to encompass and tell a story. And the story is Brendan and Spencer saying goodbye to their former bandmates. It's been a good run. Thanks for everything you did to get us to this point, but we need to move on. And they, they go on an adventure. They try to take people with them. Uh, various people who appeared in, some of the I Write Sins or some of their other kind of circus-themed style videos. And, and they bring them along, or they try to bring them along with them. And they, ha they come to many different obstacles. And in those obstacles, they decide, oh, we need to get through this? All right, here's what we need to do. And then eventually it comes to a point where they realize we can't take anything with us. We got we to gotta drop everything. So they drop their suitcases and they're like, we're ready. We're going to do this. And one by one, every one of the people that they tried to bring with them to save realize that they can't do it. They're not willing to part ways with, with some of the baggage that they're bringing with them. And so they turn around and go back. And so the whole video is very symbolic of where the band was at that point where they were going and this this video was a, a perfect way to encompass all of that and then the music itself on this album 
I will listen to this album start to finish and and then turn it on repeat because it's it's just really really good and it's so well constructed to tell the story of this narrative and given that I have such a connection to it you can see why maybe there's a bit of a personal relation there so sure. this song in particular sometimes known as just Mona Lisa easily the best song on the album and like I said, one of their best songs, maybe of all time. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I am happy to include it at my number one spot. Stay true to myself on this one and really, yeah, it's your uh, list, right? Yeah. Gotta have a, gotta have a banger on here. So, you, I, I'm like 99% sure you have not heard this song prior to, yeah, me sending no. you this list. So, it's possible I've heard it, you know, ambiently somewhere, but I don't recall it at all. So um, what were your thoughts then when you heard it? So I am, uh, my history of Panic at the Disco is, you know, you talked about like, like they, they definitely had that email uh, vibe about them, especially super early on. And you had some of those more like um, very distinctive, like that circus theme style and stuff on some of their things. And I, at the time when that stuff was coming out, that actively repelled me. And I was sure. like, I want nothing to do with that. Um, and also really, uh, Really not a big fan of Brandon Urie's voice. Um, That's unfortunate. Does not, does not click for me. That being said, I found this song as uh, I didn't hate it. You know, didn't didn't hit for me. You know, as you know, I sure that's still Brandon Urie singing. You know, just trying to you know assess it neutrally mm-hmm. in 2023. Uh, you know, it, I, I didn't hate it. That's about as good as I'm going to get from you. So I I for one very much like his voice and i think even in let's call it again era two of panic which is even after this where i don't know any of that stuff he's got some really good songs in there and there's maybe one more album that comes out after vices and virtues that could be considered era one but then it's there's a complete divergence from there and it is more anthemic but it's it's done so well. High Hopes is in there. Emperor's New Clothes is in there. I, okay, Say I do know Amen that song. is in there. I know High Hopes. That song is not for me. Man, there's there's a lot of really good songs. And yeah, his his voice and the way he constructs them, the songs is just it's catchy. It's when his voice goes higher. That's what that's what gets me. He's got great range. Let him let him sing. Sure, you know. I, I'm not saying everybody has to be for me you know sure and the last thing i'll say about this when i think of music in general the biggest thing for me is the emotional connection sure any kind of past memories or where i was at the time or how it makes me feel or the just the overwhelming emotions that i feel as i'm listening to these songs or really connecting with them that's what takes it to a next level for me. And with this song in particular, every single time I get little chills, especially at certain parts of the song. So I know that this is definitely one of those songs where I'm never going to get sick of it. I love this song. And so it was an easy inclusion on here. And I'm, I am proud to put it at my number one, even if it's an emo song that you just don't like. And I'm okay with that. I said I didn't hate it. Well, it doesn't mean you like it. <laughs> no. Well, I'll leave it more neutral than that. 
Hmm, fair enough. Like I, I, I really don't like High Hopes. I, I really don't like that song. This is way better than that. High Hopes, yeah, that was. That's funny that you don't like it. Uh, the year that that charted, uh, number one, I think. Um, every other song that charted number one that year was a four chord song. It was this was the only not non four chord song. Huh. Okay. This one has six chords. In that All case, right, well, doesn't qualify for this list because it's true. Well, hope's a name, but hopes is not a person. Yeah, name. not not the intent in that song. Not at all. Anyway, as far as I know. Uh, but yeah, that's our uh six through one through sixes, six through ones. Um, we're gonna take a break and then we're gonna come back with segment two where we'll talk about Scott's bonus side list, any honorable mentions we might have. Uh, our seven through tens, and then argue about what belongs on the actual unified podcast list. So stick around, folks. Welcome back, everyone. You know, it's a little bit of a shorter episode, but hey, if you made it this far, then probably enjoying yourself a little bit it's shorter it's shorter until we argue for three straight hours about what songs belong where Ooh, yeah i I didn't anticipate that and we'll have some very strong opinions here moving forward but that being (laughs) said we would love to hear your show ideas or if you have other comments things we excluded things we included that you think we shouldn't have maybe you should argue with us a little bit who knows we might become friends it's funny how that works. You can try to reach us on Twitter, but we don't have a blue check mark, and we're not getting one anytime soon. But Nobody we... does anymore unless you pay for it. That's today. We're recording that today. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, I have no intentions of doing that. So you can try to reach us at Stupid Sequence. You're much better off emailing us at stupidsequence at gmail.com. And beyond that, I think, you know, let, let your friends know you're enjoying yourself and you think this is something me and my friends would probably do you should probably let them know so they can listen too and then you guys can argue amongst yourselves and then you can tell us what you argued about for it because we'd like to hear from you i think that would be nice and on spotify we do uh polls so you can vote for what you think is better uh what who had the better number one pick that's true you can uh you can tell josh why scott's amazing so with that being said i think we should probably round out our lists talk about some other stuff and get to arguing yeah why don't we kick off with before we get to our seven through tens let's do your bonus side list oh you want to do that here yeah let's do that here let's do it right now oh my gosh okay you need some different music for this and in particular i think you need some just dark and oh okay in my bonus list we're calling it scott's emo corner Yep, all right. That's where you go and cry in a corner. These songs, in no particular order, are names that are included in all types of emo songs that I've enjoyed over the years, and there's a couple of special shout-outs in here. So the first one is Eris and Dysnomia by A Skylight Drive. We have Lexington, parentheses, Joey Peapot with a Monkey Face by Chiodos. Yep, sure. Why not? Joey Peapot with a monkey face, yeah. Uh, uh, Chiodo sailing from Flint, Michigan, right? Mm, Davison, but yes, very close to Flint, okay. Michigan. 
Okay. Wonderful band. Uh, well, was it one time? We can get into that another time. I really like that band. This song is called I'm Made of Wax, Larry. What are you made of? Larry, obviously a name in that song. That's by, uh, oh my gosh. <clears throat> a Day to Remember. Oh my gosh, sorry about that. Uh, next we have you're, you're Adam's. failing your emo heritage. Oh, I know, right? Next we have Adam's Song by Blink-182. Not, not normally an emo-centric band, but definitely emo-adjacent. And with the content yeah, of more, this song, on the pop it's, punk it's definitely more emo. Uh, next we have Hey There, Delilah. I believe you've mentioned this song already, but sure, sure. 100% this is an emo song, Plain White Tees. What's it like in New York City? So next we have She's My Winona by Fall Out Boy, also on the Folia Do album. Also a very good song. Next we have a couple of Panic at the Disco songs. They also put several names in their songs. I constantly thank God for Esteban. I mentioned that one earlier. We also have Sarah Smiles, which is also from Vices and Virtues album. And then they title too short to be a blink or not blink That title too short to be a Panic at the Disco song. I know, right? This is you know revamping. There's another Panic at the Disco song here called Miss Jackson. Notably, not the Outcast version of Miss Jackson. It's not a cover. This is a different song, and it is very mm-hmm. good. Uh, next, we have Mr. Owl Ate My Metal Worm by the band Destroy, Rebuild Until God Shows, also known as Drugs. The a palindrome. Funny, funny how that works, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, next, we have Hawthorne Heights' Nikki FM, one of the peak emo bands and one of the first emo bands that most people have ever listened to, Hawthorne Heights. Nikki FM being one of their most popular songs at that time. Uh, next, we have If I'm James Dean, You're Aubrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn. Oh, my goodness. And that's by Sleeping With Sirens. Next, we have Uma Thurman by Fall Out Boy. God, I hate that song. Oh, my God, I hate that song. What? How can you hate that it's song? It's so, so catchy. Bad. It's I so catchy. That hey, listen, that song played like every half an hour when I worked at Best Buy many years ago. And I hate that song so much. Oh, my God. Yeah. You're lucky you didn't put that on your list. No, I I don't like it that much, and the music video is kind of dumb for it, but... Worst 20 songs of all time. No, come on, it's not that bad. It's catchy, it's so so catchy. Just like you have the personal emotional connection to uh, Ballad Mona Lisa, this is my personal negative emotional connection to... God, I hate this song. Okay, well, let's keep going, because I've only got a couple more here. It's more than a top 10 list. All right, so we have uh, Sick Transit Gloria, Glory Fades, and that's by Brand New. Man, this is such a good song. This is another one of those songs that I have a personal connection to that I listen to constantly. Next, we have Miss Murder. Kind of. Oh, that sounds uh, good. It's on the edge of like. Yeah, not quite. Does this. Well, and does it really fit the list? Miss Murder. That's her name. Yeah, that's a a bit eh, of a stretch. Okay, well, it's not in my top ten. It's fine. It's a good song, though. Uh, Another one that's on the edge here is Shadow Moses by Bring Me the Horizon possibly that's referring a metal, to that's a metal gear exactly reference. possibly to a metal gear reference possibly about a shadow figure that is moses-esque so uh, it's unclear and because it's unclear solid snake did not go to shadow moses island to be disrespected in this manner solid snake who's that all right so we have the final song on my email list and this is one that 99.9 percent of people who listen to this podcast because you know there's probably 100 people total and Maybe one of them has heard it, if any. Um, there's a very small band from Birch Run, Michigan, that I 
I knew when we were in high school and this band Ports of Adia uh, featured a, the lead singer was somebody from our high school, uh, Josh Worley. And I, I don't know if you knew Josh, because I think you came in junior year and he had just graduated. So yeah, I did. I do not know who that is, but Josh, very, very uh, enthusiastic individual has a great voice. And during one of the band practices, like they're just screwing around and he was wearing this ridiculous suit that he had purchased at a thrift store. And, and he's, he's kind of a hairy individual, kind of goofy looking. And one of the band members said, dude, you look like Robin Williams, but like you're wearing a Jack Lemon suit. And so they named the song Robin Williams in a Jack Lemon suit. There you go. So yeah, fun fact, little mini story. Josh, shout out to you. Hope you're doing well. Still, Different Josh, I, notably. I still listen to his music sometimes, and uh, that was years ago. They haven't they haven't played together as a band in probably 15 years. So, anyway, good stuff. Nice bonus list. Thank you. Why don't we round out your top 10? We'll go we'll go that way. I'll round out mine, and then we can talk or you know do honorable mentions in there as well. All right. Um, I'm gonna run seven to 10 here. I think several, some of your multiples of yours in the bottom there were duplicates, right? But all, none of mine were, uh, seven is a song we talked about on last week's episode. This is Michael Jackson's Billie Jean from the album thriller in 1982. Like I said, last week, definitely the best Michael Jackson song in my opinion. Um, Hey, we're going to talk about some dark stuff here for a minute because the inspiration for this song turns out is really dark. Um, it's written about groupies he had to deal with as part of the uh, when he was part of the Jackson Five. Uh, he it was directly inspired by letters he received from a woman who claimed that he was the father of one of her twins, but not both. Strange. Um, she kept harassing him to the point that he suffered nightmares about it. Eventually, she mailed him a gun, instructing him to kill himself at the same time she would kill their baby, so they could be together in the next life. Fortunately, none of that happened, and she apparently got psychiatric help. So, uh, really messed up origin for this song that I did not know about until I researched it. So, weird. Real dark. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, uh, legendary producer Quincy Jones worked on this album, and apparently he wanted to change the title to Not My Lover, since he thought people would think the song was about Billie Jean King, the tennis player. Uh, this song also, maybe, uh, most notably in Michael Jackson's life, led to the Pepsi commercial filming that, uh, fe- he, he that ended up fire. having, uh, he, he got burned by a firework accident on set and needed reconstructive surgery on. So a pretty, pretty significant moment in his life there. Yeah. So really weird, weirdly major loaded song in a couple of different ways here in the history of it. But the song itself, man, it's really good. I like it a lot. So that's my number seven. I would add a quick note. I really like sure. the remake of that, the uh, the song, Billie Jean. I don't know if you've heard it. Who did that? Ant, Alien Ant Farm? Does that sound Yeah, familiar? that sounds right. Yeah. That sounds right. I, I really like that one. Just kind of makes it more of that 90s punky kind of, sure. 90s, early 2000s punky kind of feel. Not as good as the original, but it's it's pretty good. I enjoy it. My number eight is a song called Mary Mac. Uh, This is originally a Scottish folk song, but the version that I was introduced to the song as is was recorded by the band Carbon Leaf in on their album Echo Echo in 2001. It is a patter song. 
uh, about being excited about getting married. Uh, the chorus goes, Mary Mac's mother's making Mary Mac marry me. My mother's making me marry Mary Mac. Well, I'm gonna marry Mary for when Mary's taking care of me, we'll all be feeling Mary when I marry Mary Mac. Uh, the lyrics are full of rhymes, puns, and tongue twisters. Uh, but the really fun part is the tempo progressively increases as the song goes on. So uh, it gets uh, very complicated to sing along with, but it's very fun. Uh, I think the best stanza of the song is uh, Weddings on a Wednesday, everything's arranged. Soon your name will change to mine unless her mind be changed. We're making the arrangements. I feel a bit deranged. Marriage is an awful undertaking. So I just think it's a it's a fun song Lover. to sing along it's, with, you yeah. know, as you do that speed up thing, you know. Uh Mary Mac's mother's making Mary Mac marry me. My mother's making me marry Mary Mac. Well, I'm gonna marry Mary for a Mary's taking care of me. We'll all be feeling Mary when Mary Mary Mac. I've sung along with the song before. Yeah. It's fun. Wow. That was pretty impressive. Uh that's number eight. Uh number nine for me is uh Sam's Town by the Killers, the eponymous track from their 2006 album Sam's Town. Uh it's written by the lead singer Brandon Flowers. Uh, it's the first album of the Killers that I was introduced to, and I think easily still their best work overall. This song is an extremely Brandon Flowers ass song. It's got the song. It's got the really big vocal scoops. Uh, you know, maybe not as pronounced as on "When You Were Young," which is my favorite song from them, but uh, you know, definitely present here as well. I particularly enjoy the drum fills on this song. Not, her, you're not a fan of Mr. Brightside. Oh, Mr. Brightside's great, excellent song, but um. You know, I, I think there are like a few really great songs on Hot Fuss, their first album. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just think Sam's Town is a much stronger album overall. Hmm. Uh, also learned uh, for the first time doing the research for this that uh, Hot Fuss, it, they were kind of forced to use autotune on that at the label's insistence. And this one, did they didn't have to. So these are his untuned vocals in this song and the rest of the album. I did not know that. So, yep, Sam's Town, number nine. Great song. Uh, and then number 10 is Come On Eileen from Dexy's Midnight Runners from the 1982 album 2 Rye A. I'm not going to go into this a ton. If you want to hear me talk more about Come On Eileen, go listen to our episode on uh, Best One Hit Wonders. Uh, this Ooh. song slaps. It's really good. Spoilers. Uh, the song is about the singer being reunited with a childhood friend and discovering that she is hot. It's vaguely creepy, but the song's really good. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yep. Funny how that uh, works. Yeah. So there you go. My seven through ten. What do you got? Oh, we. I won't talk too much about these, but seven was Layla, which we kind of covered. Right. Eight is Eleanor Rigby slash Julia, and of course that's by the Beatles. Uh, just one of their more beautiful songs, and even in the movie Yesterday, that uh, includes you know. Be some of the Beatles songs being re-sung by this other guy because the Beatles suddenly disappear and nobody knows about them. The The movie Eleanor Rigby is one of the ones where he struggled to remember all of the lyrics and it, it was a it was a really good way of describing the story that was going on because the woman he was in love with was named Ellie. But anyway... Good song. Really like it. Number nine, Tom Sawyer. We already covered that one. Number 10, Mr. Crowley by Ozzy Osbourne from his album, The song. Blizzard of Oz. God, such, a, song. such a cool album name. Good yeah. album, too. Yeah. Kind of a, another dark song. And maybe that's the theme that I was really going for here. But the uh, 
the song itself is just is just really good. And I couldn't remember as I was doing this. I'm like, was this a Sabbath song or was this just an Aussie song? No, it's a it's an Aussie song. It's just an Aussie song. Yeah, and, and you know he's. He, it's hard to say that he was better on his own, but he wrote a lot of really good songs after he left Black Sabbath. And yeah, I think it's a pretty even mix. There's a lot of really great Sabbath songs, but there's a lot of really good Aussie solo songs too. Right. Yeah. Well, with that being said, you know, I won't speak too much on it because I, I have a lot in my honorable mentions that I want to get to and I probably talk more about them. But man, Mr. Crowley, one of those kind of early 80s metal songs. Uh, well, I guess not early 80s, but it's, it's 1980 of, is that album, right? Or 80, Yeah. Yeah, I guess it is 80. Uh, so one of those early metal songs in general that starts to define the genre and and that's why I appreciate it so much. There was a, a phase of my life where I went through and just listened to nothing but old, it, let's call it pre-metal metal. It's not super sure. heavy, but it, it starts to feel a little bit heavier. And this was definitely in the mix there. So Mr. Crowley on that list. It's a great album. Crazy Train also on that album, you know, and is, I think, the standout song, but does not fit on the list. No, it does not. So what do you got for your honorable mentions or dishonorable mentions? Honorable mentions. I tried to cut this list down a bit because I came up with boy a whole lot. And then I shuffled a bunch of them over to the, my side bonus alphabet list. Uh, but so these are ones that I think especially stand out for me and my history of music. So these are in no particular order. Uh, we have my name is Jonas by Weezer. Song I really like uh, Jesse's girl by Spr- Rick Springfield. Uh, Natalie Marie and 1CC by The Spill Canvas uh, Oh Maria by, the, by Seawolf Hey Julie by Fountains of Wayne also Stacy's mom Sweet Caroline, Neil Diamond William and Maggie from Charlie Peacock Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry Jessica by the Allman Brothers Band uh, we mentioned Mr. Crowley already uh, Danny California by Red Hot Chili Peppers also mentioned earlier. And Boris the Spider by The Who. I guess you could consider Bob O'Reilly as well. Pre-spoilers. It's on my list. I hadn't thought of that till just now. Oh, well, I'll cover it for you. And you had a dishonorable mention, I'm told? Yeah, I do have one dishonorable mention. Should have been two, because I should have put Uma Thurman on them, because God, that song sucks ass. <laughs> uh, but uh, the other one is a song that I'm going to say sucks even more ass. Uh, Jack and Diane by John Mellencamp. All all John Mellencamp songs suck ass. I don't care if you get mad at me on it. He is the worst. I hate him. Uh, and Jack and Diane is one of his worst songs. So you don't like that little ditty? Uh, nope. About Jack and Diane. Sure don't. Nope. Couple of kids. get get out of here, John Mellencamp. No one likes you. Uh, you. What about John Cougar Mellencamp? John Cougar Mellencamp can also go to hell. John Cougar also can go to hell. <laughs> What what is it about him that you don't like? His voice is terrible, and his song structure sucks, and I don't like listening to any of it. Get out of here! Wow, some high in the garbage, some high praise in the garbage. Man, okay. Well, how about I go through some of snap the album in half? How about I go through some of mine before you become belligerent? And I on mine as I was going through my original list of. All the songs that I just... He sucks so much! Wrote. Okay, can you stop? Can you... <laughs> I, I think I told you I had 
in total across all of my lists for for doing this, including the you know emo stuff and the honorable mentions and everything, like it was nearly a hundred songs in total. There were a lot. just so many songs that I wanted to include, and I, I've even been thinking of more in the the time since I I didn't include my name is Jonas on here. I love that song. I, why didn't I include that song? All right, so. I broke mine down into a couple of lists here. We've got the honorable mentions, which are, these are ones that I thought had potential to actually make my top 10 at some point. And then we have near honorable mentions, which are ones that I respect and appreciate, but they didn't really stand a chance to make it in my top 10. And then of course we have a dishonorable mention. So, and I'll, I'll rapid fire through these. I don't think I need to include everything. Uma Thurman by fallout boy. Number one, Uma. No. Okay. So honorable mentions, uh, we have, the Wind Cries Mary. We have hey. Uncle John's Band, Grateful Dead song. We have A Boy Named Sue, Jolene, Johnny B. Good, Buddy Holly, Jessica by the Allman Brothers, Black Betty, Bam Blam. We have. Oh, how did I not get that on there? I'm, yeah, I am genuinely you? surprised you did not bring that song up. Uh, we have. Song, the, the Black Betty's not uh, sort of supposed to. Okay, never mind. It's honorable mention. It's fine. Hey Jude. We have Baba O'Reilly, which we just mentioned. We have Danny's Song by Loggins and Messina. Uh, notably, my brother-in-law was named after that song. I don't know what that is. Oh, yeah. Well, you probably do. You probably just don't know the name of the song. Go listen uh, afterward. We have Roxanne. We have Billie Jean, of course. Uh, and mm-hmm. finally, and this one may be a little bit more gimmicky, and my last honorable mentions, we have Scotty Doesn't Know, which is a... Song from the song, the the movie Euro Trip, and uh, it was largely about somebody named Scotty who's getting cheated on. His girlfriend was cheating on him. Hey, do you think people mentioned that name around you when you were in high school? You know, there was a whatever. There was a period for about two years where every single day somebody mentioned this song to me, or sang this song to me, or in some way. It's your favorite song, I bet. I, I actually don't mind the song. That's the thing. Like, it, it doesn't make sense for me. Don't and, tell Scotty. You know what? That's fine. Like, it's hilarious. And the song itself was it's pretty darn catchy. And in the, the movie, it's a cameo by Matt Damon. All right. We have near honorable mentions. We have Miss Jackson, but this one's the outcast version, not the Panic! of the Disco version. We have Stan by Eminem, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Proud Mary, Cecilia, Come On Eileen was on here. Should have mentioned Proud Mary. Yeah, what is wrong with you? My Sharona, Jeremy by Pearl Jam, one of your second favorite bands. Iris, mm-hmm. uh, Google Dow, Stacy's Mom, 8675309, parentheses, Jenny. No, yeah, I should have mentioned that yeah, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brandy, you're a fine girl. We have that's, a, that's also good. Lola. We also have Yoda, the Weird Al version. Yoda, that's true. A much better version of this song. Who doesn't love a little green guy? You can call me Al. We have Axel F, which is the crazy frog. Well, yeah, it's the no, that's not the one I'm referring to. We have the one that is from the actual movie, right? Because it's about Axel Foley, and that's his name, of course. But uh, that's the one that. Uh, was famously imitated on Family Guy as <laughs> and another <laughs> that one. That's the Axel F's the Crazy Frog song. No. Anyway, uh, next we have Jack Sparrow, 
hilarious song. Love this song. Lonely Island. Yep. We have Linus and Lucy. Very good. Oh, very, man. very I good about that. instrumental Shoot. song. Ugh. How did you not include that? Oh my god, I missed that one. You missed so many. I love that's like maybe my favorite piano piece. Oh, it's beautiful. All right, so then we have We Don't Talk About Bruno. We have Johnny I Hardly Knew Ya. Good song. Brian Wilson, Bare Naked Ladies. We have Bezos One, which is a song about Jeff Bezos by Bo Burnham on his most recent en- album. We have the song Shia LaBeouf, which. Actual cannibal. Is hilarious. Running away from Shia LaBeouf. We have Alexander Hamilton from the Hamilton musical. Not worth mentioning. Uh, this is a wonderful musical. And no. the, the whole album is really, really good. And I listened no, to it. It's terrible. In, it's so in a bad. mix of so, a couple other things. I'm sorry you don't like thumbs it. Down. We have Two Mr. Jones. Down. Ten thumbs Counting down. Counting Crows. Ten thumbs down. We have John the Fisherman by Primus. And then we have a, a small mention. And this is a very small mention because in the movie Scott Pilgrim versus the World, he writes a, so- a song for Ramona and he says it's called Ramona. And then he That's proceeds true. to sing it and it's about 30 seconds long. And she's like, oh, I can't wait to hear when it's finished. And he's like, finished? Like, oh, I thought it was finished. Anyway. And then I have two dishonorable mentions, which I will throw in here. Cotton Eye Joe. I hate that song. It's just so dumb. <laughs> I, and the dance, whatever the dance is that goes along with it. I just, I sure. don't, I don't want to be involved with it. I don't want to hear this song. It's just really dumb. And then we have one of the songs that gets most overplayed at football games and sporting events and bar music Sweet Caroline, I don't want to hear that song. Oh, come on. No, I'm fine. no, it's I'm so tired of it. It's it's exhausting. <sighs> it it's not a terrible song, but it's just so overdone, overplayed. Everyone wants to exaggerate on it like, "Oh, Sweet Caroline." I'm like, "God, it's fine." No, I'm I'm tired of that song. And it's better than Uma Thurman. Oh, hard disagree. Uma Thurman is vastly superior to that song. If only because it hasn't played a million times to me. See, you played a million times for you. So I've heard, I've heard Uma Thurman about a thousand more times than I've heard. Okay, but I have heard Uma Thurman probably a thousand times, and I enjoyed it. (laughs) So (laughs) Uh you chose. That's that's different. Yeah, it's a little bit different. So that's all I got for that. That's all my list. That's uh, there we go. All the songs that I was hoping to mention on this, and I'm I'm sure we're we're missing some here, but. There's, there's a lot of really good songs with names in them, as I found Turns out. Turns out people have recorded a lot of songs throughout human history. Yeah, a lot of songs. And I'm sure we're missing some. So yeah. if you're listening to this and you're like, damn, how did you forget that? You went through 100 songs and you didn't bring up this one? What is that song? Tell me. You should email me. At stupidsequence at gmail.com. Yeah. Axel F. Crazy Frog. That's the, that's the one you missed. Boom. Such a fun eighties like kind of musical song and just uh, about a cop from Detroit. How relatable. Anyway. Okay. Well, you know what? Let's uh We got a list to make. Yeah. We got a what we got a final we got a final list to make here. I'm going to move over our figure top sixes. Out. Yeah. 
on the shared Google Doc that we have these discussions on, uh, we are going to hash out what is going to make it on this list. We can just leave out Fallout Boy um, and talk about the rest of these items. Um, let's see. You're not leaving out. So Fallout. we have eleven items. So one item's gonna have to get cut here. That's true. Mm. Mm. So, uh, I think, you know, if I'm picking a song to cut, it, uh, th- uh, this is, I'm not going to win here, but I wouldn't pick the Fall Out Boy song to cut, actually. I would pick Helena. Really? Yeah, because I, I just, like I said, I just don't, do not care for pre, um, for pre last parade or sorry last parade black pre black parade, parade yeah. uh my comical romance uh, no, i got you that's a, it's the hardest i've ever turned around on a band is because i really don't like that first album and then i loved black parade so uh i i do not care for, for helena as a song and i found what a catch donnie to be inoffensive well, I'm not prepared to make that deal, so we sure. we're, we sure. could table that discussion. For I, now. I figured I figured you weren't gonna go for the Helena thing, but yeah. I'm just telling you, Fall Out Boy, not actually number one in my in my sites here. Okay, well that that is a little bit which surprising. is unexpected for you, I know. It, it, yeah, definitely. So Rhiannon features highly on both lists. You know, it's I, it's five for you, it's one for me. Yeah, if you want to put it in like the somewhere in like that top three range. Yeah, well, not, I don't think we're gonna give it number one. Yeah, but it's going to be in that upper. Yeah. That upper echelon. Yep. For I, sure. I think Layla probably also. Yep. I think Layla lo- can. Lower than I don't, Rhiannon. I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know that Layla's going to make like top three. It's definitely going to make I it. I think though. Tom Sawyer is going to be on it. there. Tom Sawyer is going to. Like, I would push for Tom Sawyer to be above Layla personally. Mm, just just put it on there for now. Let's. We'll put it. Put it somewhere we'll put it in the middle. It's yeah, fine. Right in that middle range there. Uh, as far as the songs on my list, because you, I mean, you didn't know a lot of these, it's, it's hard for you to probably relate. Um, yeah, I know the, the ones I know knew for, uh, solidly coming in here were Clint Eastwood and Helena. Um, I, I say Clint Eastwood makes it easy. Oh, yeah. If we're only cutting one song from this list, I, I feel, I think Clint Eastwood makes it over. No problem. Yeah, I would say Clint Eastwood's probably, uh probably in the top half of that can we safely list. say a boy main a boy a boy maimed sue a boy named sue makes it over oh. who, who maimed sue all right i said maimed actually because i flipped the letters so maimed uh, oh someone put a ma- put a main put a main on him oh, yeah, interesting interesting um yeah no that, i think that you're probably okay on my honorable mentions yeah. so that's no problem we'll put that over there okay um my pick for cut is actually the death cab song and really yeah so maybe a little bit surprising for you i enjoyed the decemberist song more than what sarah said and what sarah said is a very long song and i just i didn't really feel like it picked up enough that i i could really get into it 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 was just too too much like a death cab song and then it just kept going and for me, yeah, that's going to be a really tough argument for you because that is a that is a very strong emotional connection song for me. Sure, um, I I really really like that song. Um, you know, O Valencia, I think is uh, it's a song I really really like, 
um, introduced me to this band, but it's it's less of a, a direct emotional connection song. Mm-hmm. Well, you can move O Valencia over probably towards okay. the bottom, but yeah, I think it's probably going to make the list. Um, I think Mary Jane's Last Dance definitely makes this list. This is yeah, I like it better than any of the remaining three on on yours here. Um, okay, well, uh, the three the three emo songs. So you, I think we can safely move that over. You're not going to get away with excluding Ballad of Mona Lisa. So you might as well just put. That I I there. yeah, I figured that's coming over. Okay, there's no there's nothing there. Um, so we're just looking at Helena, what Sarah said, and what, what a, a catch, catch Donnie. Donnie. Yeah. See if we can put some order to the ones we have before we. Sure. Yeah. Let's let's maybe let's maybe do that. I I mean, off the cuff, just looking at this, like Rhiannon probably is number one. That's a really good song. It's really good. It's my number one. If you want to put it there, I'm not going to argue with you. Uh, it was my number five. I I mean, this is a combined list, right? We're right. Yep. We, we got to think of it a little bit from that perspective. Yeah, I I think it makes sense to put it at number one. We both have a solid appreciation for this song. Worth mentioning here, you know, as uh, I don't think we mentioned yet this episode, just because it was one of those top sixes doesn't mean that those are the ones that automatically make the list. If we feel like in our discussion, we want to bring something up from the seven through tens. I don't know that we've done that before, but it's always an option. I think we did it once. Did we? Yeah, I don't I, remember. Uh one of the movie episodes uh, anyway we'll, that's entirely possible it doesn't matter yeah well um, well i mean we can bring up my number seven it's layla it's already on the list so that that is true that is true your number seven is billy jean it's a, I mean, it's a fine song but it's i don't think it's gonna eclipse these enough to exclude two of the remaining songs I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, you moved over, you said you want to move over the rest of my other songs remaining what Sarah said. I really do not want to lose what Sarah said. That is a, uh, really important song to me. And, you know, I, I, I think musically, I love it musically. I love it lyrically. The, the narrative it tells and the capturing of that emotional state for me, uh, is impactful in a way that really nothing else on my list is. You know, I, I think, you know, Rhiannon and uh, Boy Named Sue are songs that I just generally like overall more, but not for that emotional connection reason, let's mm. say. Mm. Hmm. We might have some hard decisions to make then, because in my top ten at one point, A Boy Named Sue was on there and True. got pushed out as a result of others being significantly more important to me and just generally ones that I've listened to way more and I'm ones that I have a stronger connection to. So maybe we're a bit quick to put that in this combined list. Boy mm. named Sue. Yeah. Mm. Yep. I'm, I don't know about that. I there. Well, you're the one that just said you don't have the strong emotional connection, even though you like it more. So it's, oh, I love that song. It, uh, the, the one I have, the, it's see, here's fine. the thing. The ones I have the least, fight in me for on from my list on the lower ones here are ones that were on your list which is tom sawyer and layla sure so i guess the one i have the least fight in me for is o valencia that wasn't on your list there mm. but but you're gonna have to do some convincing to put that in over over helena over helena or, uh, or fallout boy well um, okay you ranked Helena higher than What a Catch Donnie, so I assume that holds true in your, your desire to have it on the list. 
Yeah, it definitely does, but hmm. I'm going to have to think about this a little bit. All right, l- let's keep working on the list. I I think Tom Sawyer, Layla, you feel slightly stronger about Tom Sawyer. You know, I had Layla on there. Some of that's a, a personal connection uh, to my dad and his strong appreciation for that song. He he really liked that song. Whenever it came on the radio, we always turned it up. And we would... here's a, here's a comparison point. Yeah. So Layla has its second movement, which is the longer, uh, more piano driven second portion of the song. Not entirely dissimilar from the later portion of what Sarah said. You know, obviously very different songs, but interesting point of comparison there. Mm. I think. Um, how does that part of Layla hit for you versus the first movement of the song? I'm a big fan of the beginning of Layla. <laughs> you don't like the second movement as much. Uh, I I think it's the weaker part of the song. I think I agree, but I also really really like it. it I mean, it's it lends well to the song as a an overall composition. Mm-hmm. But I like the first part way better. And I think sure. you don't hear the second part and think, oh, this is Layla. You hear the first part and think, this is Layla. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I do, but I might be weird. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, does that hmm. impact, just thinking about that portion of that song, because we got to make some hard choices here, right? So it's like analyze the different parts here that we have available to us. Just thinking about that portion of the song as we got to include that, right? As part of the overall package here. How does that influence your feelings about it around Tom Sawyer? really tough um he gets high on you (laughs) the storytelling in tom sawyer is incredible and lyrics are an important thing for me and you know what i he's a modern day warrior i think i am willing to say that tom sawyer is above layla in this case i i originally had it lower on my own list but there there may have been some hasty rankings due to time pressure on my okay. eight, eight through ten or seven through ten, let's say, I okay. I knew which ones I wanted to include in my top five and six for sure, but somewhere in that seven to ten, it maybe got a little cluttered. Ten, no, oh, ten is more intentional. So seven through nine, but so let let's say this. So if Layla is, if you're okay with putting Tom Sawyer above Layla, mm. which I'm gonna do right now. Okay. I'm going to move Tom Sawyer over on the official list here. I'm just going to put it in at six for now. Okay. I feel, I feel more strongly about Tom Sawyer than Layla, personally. Do, what's your argument for Helena or What a Catch Donnie over Layla? It's just completely different songs. They are very different songs, I, it's true. Finding points of comparison, it's like... Mm-hmm. Because you ranked those higher than than you did Layla. Oh yeah, for sure. But I mean, but I really don't want to let what Sarah said go. That is, so, that's going to be a fight. Okay, so Layla, in general, I I definitely ranked it lower. Each of these has a different meaning to me as a an era of my own personal life, right? Okay. In the in the Layla, Tom Sawyer, even in some of the Beatles and the Ozzy stuff, like that's. Uh, when I was much younger, probably in the eight to, I don't know, 13 range, 12 mm. and maybe even 14. And that was when um, a lot of my musical influence came from my father. And sure, of course, I, I wanted to listen to everything he listened to. And so 
at the time we didn't have access to all of the music in the same way that we do now and so as a result it was albums it was radio it was you know whatever concerts that he wanted to watch vhs tapes of like that was you you didn't necessarily have the same choice that you were afforded in your teens and and beyond sure but it doesn't mean i didn't appreciate the music that we listened to during that time frame and and i still listen to some of it now and layla i would say is among those songs but helena and what a catch donnie were more like songs that i sought out and sure. and intentionally pursued and then after i found them listened to repeatedly because of how much of a connection i made with those songs in my life so i guess if we're if we're really looking at this list like if layla doesn't make top 10 i'm okay with that i i think pushing layla to 11 is is fine with me but would you be willing it's to concede that it's interesting that you bring up like the that personal background with you because it's largely the uh, exact opposite of my personal background with Layla, because uh, you know I've talked before. So like as a kid, uh, you know my family was very Christian. I was a pastor's kid. You know all that stuff. I was not allowed. You to were listen a pastor's to non- kid. Yes, uh, I was not allowed to listen to non-Christian, non-explicitly Christian music mm. until probably my early teens, right around like thirteen, fourteen. Um, and it isn't until around when I was like 16, 17, that I really started discovering a lot of that more classic older rock. So, and Layla's right in that wheelhouse for me. So Layla is that like personal expression. I found music on my own that this is something that I specifically want to get into. Cause it's not like my dad was into a lot of like eighties rock specifically mm. uh and not stuff from like 60s and 70s really so uh so that was more of kind of my own discovery sort of thing so that it, it, it's just interesting that we have like the exact opposites on that so my dad had better taste than your dad in music is what you're saying that's interesting Listen, i like a lot of the 80s stuff that my dad likes but he definitely skews a lot more like into some of like the new new wave more uh synth driven rock stuff he that was his like teen years music that he really got into um so Mm. he has a stronger affinity for that than i do did you listen to any pop punk christian bands like not hawk nelson for example no hawk nelson i really did not care for (laughs) um there there was a period right where that was that was relevant to me my relationship to pop punk is that i'm very very picky about the pop punk that i i really like the stuff that i get into like i said i i love uh black parade from my chemical romance i really like um uh there's a good like six or seven red jumpsuit apparatus songs i i really really like sure but um atrophy. I'm highly selective about what works. Yeah, atrophy's the best song. Easy. Number one with a bullet. Um from from mm-hmm. that band. But um Okay. Well, uh, face I'm down. Not, I'm not good. Yeah, but that's not even what I was thinking. But keep keep going. So yeah, it, it's just one of those things where it's like these specific songs that you have and the specific bands that hit for you didn't for me. And, and that's the thing is like the that's my relationship with a lot of pop punk is I really like it or I really don't. This is really, so this is really tough. 
let's see. If we're looking at Layla, if you if you cannot lose Fall Boy, I know you I know you don't want to lose Helena. If you cannot lose what a catch, Donnie. Yeah, I'd... then I think we I think we lose Layla. Let's do it. All right, I'm moving Layla to the honorary number eleven spot, which means oops, that's not the right spot. There we go. Which means that we have uh, we have ten now. And we've only really concretely placed one. Hmm. So we got to rank the rest of these. Um, so w- with that being said, you have a strong emotional connection to what Sarah said. Right. I believe I have an equally strong, if not stronger, to Mona Lisa. Sure. But with that in mind, I think it obviously was number one for me. I would put it number two on our overall list here if, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to fight you on Mona Lisa. I think you've made a pretty good argument as to why, you know, it's not to my taste, but you've made a pretty good argument as to why this song matters to you. So I think we can put that at number two. If you want to throw a boy named Sue at three, then. Well, yeah, no, so like hold for, on, hold I know, on. Because okay. I, I think Clint Eastwood is actually oh, okay. a, a, okay, a, here we go. a potential candidate for number three here i mean you you like clint eastwood and it was a good song i do like clint eastwood i I like what sarah said in boy named sue way more than the original version of clint eastwood now if we're talking the ed case refix of clint eastwood uh, <laughs> i mean i i think that that version is uh is neat uh for sure but even so not better than um, boy named sue hmm uh, I, I really, really like Boy Name Sue. That song is very fun. Uh, I think it's very well constructed. I think that specifically, because I, I, I think other version, I think it's really that Live at St. Quentin version that captures an energy that just is really unique. Um, and uh, I, I, I like other versions of that song way less than that version. So I think a big part of that is that recording specifically mm, the for live, me, the live, the energy version, of the crowd and everything. One. Yeah. Yeah. That that's that's almost as important to my enjoyment of this song as the song is itself. And did you watch but the music the video of that one as there. well? Uh yes. There, there's that. a video of him actually doing the performance, right? right. So mm-hmm. pretty good. There yeah, really I, I really it. love that specific recording and and i know that's very a very specific thing to get hung up on mm. but um if you listen to that version versus you know like a album studio version. recorded version yeah. it's really different it is different it's it, the energy is important like even even like you can see um johnny cash doing that song live as part of like a variety show that he did and it's it's very very different even there the energy is completely different as the kids say these days, it's not the vibe, you know? Right. We need the vibe. You know, this is like apples and oranges and pineapples on this list. There's Oh, for sure. Some wildly different throw, music here. Throwing a mango and a kiwi in the mix, and there's a dragon fruit that appears sometimes, and you're just like, what the hell are we doing here? What if we do... Uh, what if we do Boy Named Sue, Clint Eastwood, What Sarah Said? Oh, so you you get you get two top picks from that. Is that throw those both in there, huh? Hmm. What Sarah says very important to me emotionally. Um, this it, it captures a very specific emotional state that I think Death Cab is absolutely excellent at. 
I think that is maybe their strongest right. case as a band is, you know, stuff like I Will Follow You Into the Dark is a little bit, um, it's a great song, you know. It's, I think it's a little bit more, it feels a little bit more like artificially constructed mm. to capture a state like that, whereas what Sarah said feels uh, a little more raw to me, I guess. Um, I think another really great example from that album is like uh, Brothers on a Hotel Bed is another like really specific piano driven emotional state song uh, that, that exists in a similar space in my brain on this album. But for me, they're masters of nailing that. And this is like one of the times they do that best. I think Mm. it's no transatlanticism. Let's say the song transatlanticism is like a, like a maybe top 30 song of all time for me. It's not that good, but it's very good. I'm just thinking about how we can negotiate a little bit here because this is this is tough, right? I, ap- yeah. I'm comparing all these different features and trying to break it down into terms that are relatable. It's 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 still difficult. Like I can't put myself in your shoes completely. I'm trying. I'm trying to sure. to feel the same things that you're feeling. And I think if I had heard what Sarah said when I was in high school you know maybe 2007 2008 time sure. frame i probably would feel a little bit different about that song i didn't hear it until i don't know a few years after that probably like 2011 and mm-hmm. at that point it's like uh, you know i was enjoying death cab but i was starting to get out of the emo phase and so i wasn't relating to it as much and so my emotional connection to that song is not nearly as strong and so having not heard it for several years and then heard it again today because you reminded me of the song. I was like, Oh yeah, God, I haven't heard that song in forever. And I listened to it and I'm thinking, yeah, my, my emotional state right now, it it was, it it was kind of in a rush to be honest with you. Right. In, in my own personal mind, right. I had a billion things going on today. Work was back to back to back meetings. It's hard to put yourself into the space where you can really appreciate a song like that when you're feeling time pressure and and so maybe i didn't give it enough of a fair chance but i i'll definitely listen again and uh and and do uh give you a little bit more of a a fair judgment on it but it's gonna have to wait because it's not gonna happen tonight it's no way that that makes sense but give me give me a chance in the near future what about this what if we fill in the bottom part of the list here um, so well, hold on, because I I was building to something here. I, oh, okay, sorry. Go for it. I I am willing to put boy name Sue at three, Clint Eastwood four, and I will concede Helena to ten. Oh my! Okay. If what a catch, Donnie is five, and what Sarah oh, said is six. Boy, oh, that's an that's a. Hmm. And then Tom Sawyer gets pushed down to seven as a result. And then I enjoyed Oh Valencia, so we could throw that at eight, and maybe Mary Jane at nine. I didn't move any of that in that process, but I hope you caught all of that. <laughs> yeah, that's out of that's out of character for you. Um. Mm. Let's move it's it because you've it thrown like. me off. You've thrown me off completely. Just uh, trying to trying to empathize with you on this situation, right? I I get it. Let's, there's some. Let's do this. There's some stuff. I was that not went expecting down. you to trash can Helena like that. So 
I love Helena. I think it's a great, iconic song. I really enjoy it. I really relate to it. I will listen to it every day if I could. But if we're if we're starting to really like think and reflect emotionally on these songs, what a catch is Donnie is way more emotionally impactful than Helena. And okay. and that's because of the headspace of is Fallout Boy breaking up? Maybe. Sure. Kinda. And that, I, I, I think you have a I honestly I think you have a stronger argument around that than you do around Helena. Sure. I'm surprised you didn't like Helena. It, it, it it's interesting that that so my direct connection then to what I catch Donnie becomes there's a very very similar thing to a band I loved when I was a kid. It's a Christian band called PFR, and their final album is kind of a mix of a best of album and then had some original material on there. Um, and they had a song called "Fare Thee Well," and that's kind of the not just um the the language of the song and lyrics and everything, but it's also a farewell to their fans. They're finishing their they're finishing the band, right? Sure. Um, and Sad. end like, of an era. Yeah, so that's like an emotional connection to me there. So I can I can relate more directly to that. Let's say. Um. Well, you move the stuff around. I moved the stuff around. Look, look at it. Think and what do you I'm, think? Despite, despite the fact that it kills me inside to rank a Fallout Boy higher than a Death Cab, um, I think that specific argument you made connected with me because I have that direct personal experience with it. So I think I'm gonna go with it. I'll run it back despite to the, the despite the psychic damage you've done to me with this. Mm. Um, you've argued effectively, mindfully. Uh, and I super uh, effective. And I congratulate you for an argument well argued. Well, thank you. Isn't that the spirit? So, of this? do you? Uh, I assume you accept the uh, the list as it stands. Run it back. I, w- I want to hear it from you one more time, and then okay, we can we can confirm or deny. Our honorary number eleven is Layla by Derek and the Dominoes. At number ten is Helena by My Chemical Romance. At number nine is Mary Jane's Last Dance by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Eight is O Valencia by the Decemberists. Seven is Tom Sawyer by Rush. Six, What Sarah Said by Death Cab for Cutie. Five, What a Catch Donnie by Fall Out Boy. Four is Clint Eastwood by The Gorillas. Three is A Boy Named Sue by Johnny Cash. Two, The Ballad of Mona Lisa from Panic at the Disco. And number one, Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac. This is it. Yep. I think this is the correct order. We've done it again. It took a a little bit of mental gymnastics to get us here, but I think it's okay. I think I'm okay. Are you going to die? I might. I might, I might yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think, you know, we had, this is a hard one to hash out and figure out where we wanted things are, but I think we, we've made some good arguments here and uh, we've landed on a pretty good list. All right, but I have a last minute entry that we need to consider as like a 1.5 and that's Uma Thurman by Fallout no, Boy. No, God, get out of here. You, you're not even going to give it a chance. I that's rude. Cannot describe. I've tried, and I I I don't think I've captured how much I loathe this song. I would rather watch. Now you see me. 
whoa, okay. Then listen to Holy Uma Thurman <laughs> one more time. And that's like a two-hour movie wow. versus this stupid song. God, wow. I hate this song. I didn't realize how much you hated Quentin Tarantino and Kill Bill and stuff. Wow, that's... Listen, Kill Bill is an excellent movie. About... Uma Thurman is a great actress. Who's in that movie? Uma Thurman. Oh, what a, a great one, song. A wonderful actress, but... And a wonderful a truly song. A truly detestable song. However, however, I am going to, before we wrap up here, I do want to make special dishonorable mention. <laughs> not on the list. Uh, it's not the worst Era 2 Fall Out Boy song because that's centuries. God. Oh my f***ing God, I hate that song. <laughs> it's so bad. Ugh. Oh, that's funny. I, it sucks so much. Uh, Oh man, I I think I I hate it. I'm just uh, <clears throat> yep. I I hear you. I don't hate it, but it is not one that I listen to with any kind of frequency. So by comparison, what a catch, Donnie is like the greatest song ever made. Ooh, there's a good soundbite for you. <laughs> Gonna save that one for a a rainy day. You don't edit the podcast, I do. You don't know these files. That's true. <laughs> so this is a small flaw in my plan. Well, yeah. luckily, your wife loves Era 2 Fallout Boy, and you just talked some serious smack about them, so I'm, I'm sure... I'm sure. She's, she's very wrong. Wow. Well, she married you, so she did something right. I don't know. All right. Is that like, a, is that like here, a reverse Scott. burn? That felt like a reverse burn. Yeah, kinda. Okay, well, you're a Cool guy. How about that? All right. Um, You've said a nice thing in a mean way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Anyway. Well, all right. So, yeah. Let's, let's, get, let's wrap this up, right? Um, you, listener. Yes, you. Folks. Or dodos. Or wh- whomever you are. You took the time to listen to us. And we really appreciate that. So I hope you enjoyed this. And if you made it this far, you know, this is like 18 episodes in. It's not generally a place people like to start. You know, oh yeah, I always start at episode 18. That makes sense for a brand new podcast. No, that doesn't really make sense. But if you did, you should message me. Send me an email. StupidSequence. Gmail.com. Or send us, you know. Send it to me personally. I'll know it's from you. Scott's Fan Mail. Our new segment on, on the podcast. Wow. You know how many uh, total emails I have received as, as far as fan mail? One. No, it's not even one. It's zero. I'm pretty sure it's zero. We have not received Scott's fan mail zero. That's right. Fan mail zero. We're programmers. We're going to start counting at zero. All right. So, uh, Josh, why don't, you, uh, why don't you just tell us what the next topic is going to be? So next time we are going to have a special guest on special guest uh, Been a couple episodes since we've done that. So we are going to be talking about, this is our guest idea um, as we are wont to do on our guest episodes. Bring on the guest. Uh, I think it's a great suggestion. This is going to be a discussion on the best movies that are under 90 minutes. Debatable suggestion. Best movies. Turns out I did some looking into this. Boy, there's a lot of real good ones. Yeah. Just looking at, by popularity some of these films it's like oh that's under 90 oh i guess that's yeah it's like 87 minutes oh oh i was looking through a list i came up with like 25 of them in like five minutes so 
there are some definite childhood classics that are going to make this oh, list. Oh, for sure. That, for sure. That are just garbage time movies that have no business making any kind of list, and you are going to be despising some of them because I know how you feel about certain actors. So, looking forward mm, to okay. that conversation. Interesting. But hopefully... Our, a lot of a lot of lot of children's movies, a lot of animated movies, a lot of comedies. Hopefully our mutual friend here is not the type to despise this actor and the two of us can gang up on you mm. and agree mm. that this is one I don't know what you're referring movie. to. You can't think of it as I despise several actors. Uh, yeah, well that that's You you have strong opinions? What? I am a hater, it's true. Josh, how could you? Yeah. I had no idea. Okay, well, you know what? That's good. This sounds lovely. This was this was a nice suggestion. I think we're going to get some interesting conversation going. I'm looking forward to it, and hopefully our guest is equally as excited. Sounds like he's already been working on his list, so good deal. Should be fun. Okay, well, thank you again, everyone, and until next time, I've been Scott. And I've been Josh. And remember, with a little practice... You can argue your way into a friendship. Take care, folks. All right, time dot is says it's eight forty four in ten seconds. My time dot is says it was eight forty four uh, fourteen seconds ago. Okay. So that seems like a significant dis- discrepancy. I didn't, I didn't say and or in 10 seconds, I said and 10 seconds. Oh, it sounded like you said in 10 seconds. And no. I was like, that is way off. What? No, 31, 32, 33, 34. Okay. Let's clap on a 45. Deal. No, I fucked that one up. How did <laughs> I bumped the mic and I distracted myself? Oh, my God. That was seven seconds. Oh, like right before I like moved my hand a little bit, I was like, oh, how, shit. How are you going to know? Right, let's it... do, because I'll look for the second one. Okay. I clapped, but All right, 12. let's do on 10. 10. 10. 10. 10.